For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Storm Debbie, and as usual, all of the storms get uh, quite an amount of coverage in the newspapers and they get all sorts of colours attached to them. Debbie gets a red in many parts of the country. In fact, lots of schools across the county, including Cork. If you're wondering why there were no school-going children uh, for primary or secondary uh, on our streets this morning or at bus stops like I was, I was saying, where are they all gone? It's not... It's not midterm mark two, is it? No, uh, they won't go in till 10 this morning. So that's the story that makes the papers today as they talk of school chaos for parents as 130 kilometre gales batter the nations. They are they are now very much on the side of caution. Uh, the Met Office and those controlling uh, our weather warnings because they've been caught once or twice and they don't be caught anymore. Uh, so sometimes it tends to go a little bit uh, OTT in areas of an orange warning. Uh, the Midlands got uh, is getting absolutely hammered. Don't get me wrong. Before I came on air, I just checked and they're talking about at least 100,000 power outages. Uh, Clare, Kerry, Limerick, Tipperary, Galway, Roscommon, Dublin, Kildare, Leash, Loud, Meath, Wicklow, you know, the Midlands and up the country. Uh, we missed it, but we still got a fair battering uh, of wind and rain overnight. So that dominates many of the newspapers this morning. I'm reading it here from the Independent and the Mail today. The Echo and the Examiner uh, drill in, uh, and rightly so, to rental costs in the city. And maybe they'll also start taking a look at the price of houses, new houses, uh, on the market because they have gone absolutely baluba. But let's just deal with rent for now. Um, and of course, Sinn Féin are calling for a rent freeze and Mary Lou MacDonald did it again at their Ardesh of the weekend. She said other things. She came out fairly... She was hitting hard at the weekend, in fairness to her. But rents in Cork City now are very close to €2,000 a month. Uh, they're saying it. they're averaging just over €1,882 to be exact. Now, you will play, you'll pay a little less in places in the city, but you'll pay a damn sight more, sight more than 1880 You could be paying two grand. you could be paying 2200 I've dealt with people on this programme who are paying twenty four and 2500 a week for rent, so it's gone absolutely crazy. And of course, uh, Tommy Gould makes the front of this morning's echo because he, like Sinn Féin, is calling for a rent freeze for three years. And that would give people at least some security, be able to plan for the next few years and control their finances. So that's the echo headline this morning. Call to freeze rents as the cost of rent surges across Cork, Limerick, Waterford and Galway. And isn't it always the lack of homes and houses that drives it up? Yes, it certainly has to do with greed. And yes, it certainly has to do with, um, you know, when, when some start doing it, others pile on and before you know it, it just becomes the norm to see increases in rents year in, year out. So we're up 10% year on year uh, in city rents, according to the uh, examiner this morning, which is way ahead of the comparable increase, say, in Dublin City, which is up 4.3%. But the average rent in Dublin is uh, nearly €2,400, whereas here in Cork, it's edging ever closer to 2000 And Galway and Limerick and Waterford aren't too far behind. I mean, if you look at Galway, for some extraordinary reason, the rent in Galway City, on average, is higher than Cork. Believe it or not. It's coming in at 1,982. I know I'm blinding you, but figures. But a quick look at the county then, when you look by comparison, and the independent have the entire graph, like a graphic of the entire country today, 1,882 across the city, just slightly under 1,500 euro a month in the county, an increase on last year of just under 12%. And you see, if salaries don't go up by the equivalent amount when everything else is going up, 
we're in big trouble. So we need to build more homes and uh, all of the political parties are talking about that and always have been. These are the pledges they make to get re-elected. Unfortunately, always not delivering on it. And then when you talk of money and where it goes, the HSE um, has um, just shown details of a 28 million euro bill um, to uh, bring in and outsource recruitment from outside of the country. This is over a three-year period. And it beggars belief, actually, that uh, they would have to spend so much money on the one hand to get people to come into the country to work in the HSE when so many within the HSE or in Ireland are leaving to work overseas. So the country is bursting uh, at the seams now at this stage with regards to services, all sorts, whether it's housing or whether it's rent or whether it's health or whether it's, um, you know, um, you know, wages, minimum wage, uh, pressures on the system. And one of the reasons why you'll see a headline in the mail this morning saying benefits to be slashed for all new Ukrainian refugees is because we just can't cope. So this week, they figure we will finally hit, if we haven't done so already, the 100,000 euro mark of Ukrainian refugees uh, coming onto the island of Ireland. And what is planned, although it's not absolutely written in stone, but the mail say you can take it as read, is that benefit for new Ukrainian refugees, not the 100,000 who are here already who are receiving, among other things, the 220 euro per week welfare allowance and the children's allowance and and medical cards and, and things like that, but anyone that's coming in um, from a certain date, which will be very soon, won't get €220 Euro a week. They will get €38 Euro a week instead. And there's a quote in the mail from the former Cabinet Minister Michael Ring, the fine gailer, who says, we're too generous with our social welfare payments. It's creating an awful imbalance with the housing issue and driving local people who cannot get houses out of their local communities. So it would be €38 Euro as opposed to 220 If you look at Belgium, though, for instance, like Ireland pays the highest rate for Ukrainians, way ahead of anybody else. Anyone that comes close to us is Finland at 130 euro and Germany at about 112 a week. But Belgium pays 7 euro 90. 7 euro 90. Italy, 75 euro a week and the French give 99. So we give 220. That won't be the case for new Ukrainian refugees coming in. Meanwhile, many people are tightening their belts as they head into Christmas. In more ways than one, pennies did a survey and it makes the mail today and it shows that um, on average people spend tend to spend an average of €582 Euro on presents this Christmas compared to €1,200 Euro last year. Now that is worrying if that is 100% accurate across the country. It means that people are feeling the pain so much that they are slashing they're spending on gifts by, by like 100%. Um, meanwhile, of course, the same article tells says that supermarkets really should be dropping their prices much, much faster uh, because costs have come down uh, between now and, say, September, October of last year. So there's also a call for grocery prices to fall because, um, you know, costs have, fa- have fallen and that should also be passed on. Uh, you know, we're talking about the workplace. I love that story making the English Times this morning where they're saying that um, degrees, whether it could be um, any form of a degree or a third level college education, right up to um, a master's or a PhD, not necessary to get a job, according to 40% of bosses. And I'm glad to hear that because many people have succeeded very well in life without a college degree. Uh, And a lot of it has to do with the person, um, their personality, how they come across, their hunger for the job and their hunger to get ahead. You won't see any of that in a college degree. 
or something like that hanging in a frame on a wall. So nearly 40% of employers in the UK do not consider university degrees essential for a job application. I'll come back to that story a little later on because there's more to it as to what they prioritise ahead of a degree. And the Wolf Tones are apparently going to call it a day. They're going into retirement. <laughs> Don't you love the headline? Retirement. And, you know, you can kind of half understand why, because Tommy Byrne, the singer, says to the son, I'm 80 next year, and I think that would be a good time to stop. So they're thinking that they'll go out on a high with gigs next October. So in the next 12 months, they're going to call it a day. They may well play Electric Picnic and then decide to call it a day. It's it's an amazing career for the Wolf Tones. And um, also, you have to remember that they have been around for like, what, five or six decades playing gigs at least. And they were never as popular um, in a long, long time as they have been over the last year or so for all sorts of different reasons. They were very much in the media. But it seems to me that they have garnered a whole new support now from a much younger generation. Uh, so in fairness, that is one career uh, that should take a bow because it was a job well done. The Wolf Tones. Not everybody's cup of tea. I get that. For some, it's Marmite. Uh, but for others, of course, it's keeping music live and keeping the spirit of being Irish alive as well, I suppose. Hats off to a lot of people on Lee's side. Well done to Tom Dorkin. He makes the morning's echo his spice be his the business or as we'd say on Lee's side the bad the, the, the medaza uh, and it's been named best in ireland tom durkin's spice beef we talked to him year in and year out uh, so that's one lovely place to get your spice beef this christmas time and the th- and we got really great coffee shops on Lee's side we really do and the coffee awards are out uh, and it's good to see that we have three Cork cafes making the list of the top 10 coffee shops in Ireland. So why don't you go and try, try them out? Because their coffee must also be Midaza. Three Fools on the Grand Parade came in at number four. Cork Coffee Roasters on Bridge Street, fifth, with Soma, ninth. So those three also take a bow. Check out their coffee. It must be, do, they must be doing something right. I'm not so, not so sure you could say the same about Marks and Spencers. Apparently they're selling a pair of trousers uh, that shoppers think smell like wet dog. Now, who would want to go around wearing a pair of trousers that smell like wet dog? It's worse than garlic breath, I would say, or perhaps even B.O. But there it is nonetheless. With this morning's Red Tops telling us they'll cost you €45 Euro for the pants. Um, they're fairly smelly when you buy them, but they become absolutely super smelly and a right old dog stink off them after you wash them. Has anybody got them um, that maybe has trialled them? Perhaps you might let us know. And the papers also, uh, I saw at the weekend, we're just updating ever so slightly on a story that broke on this programme last week. And this is from the school Kolosta on Cravine in Fromoy, where young boys, four young students, became very ill. Ambulance was called, they were taken away, um, and among other things, frothing at the mouth and vomiting. The guards were also called. By all accounts, they were seized, they were, they, the guardie seized a vape. Um, and it, apparently the boys aged 14 and 15 became very sick after sharing a vape on the school premises. It was only the one vape product apparently used by the four of them and they became overwhelmed by the substance. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. We have more stories. There's a very quirky one that I want to come back to later on, particularly if you're in hospitality. It's that video that was shared at the weekend by a gastropub owner by the name of Tom Croft in America. Um, He reviewed the video. This customer complained about the food. Now, she'd eaten about three quarters of it. It was a big, big lunch, big roast dinner or something, herself and her partner. And then she asked for a refund because she said she found hair in the food. So he couldn't understand it because nobody ever complains about the food. So after they were gone with their refund, 
he went to check the CCTV cameras. It's a cameras. It's a five star food hygiene rating the place has. In fairness to him, and when he looked at the CCTV footage, he became very angry and very disgusted. You know, you want to know why? He checked the CCTV footage, and you can check out our our, our Facebook page and our Twitter page. I put the video up as well, and you can see her pulling hairs from her own head, whispering to the man next to her. Um, pulling out long pieces of her black hair and placing the hair on the plates of food. Isn't that a horribly nasty thing to do? And I'm wondering, are there other people in hospitality with other stories like that as to what customers complain about? Text 0868104106. The Voice of Cork. Neil Prendeville. Weekdays 9 to midday. Cork's Red FM. Lines open. You can text 0868104106. I want to catch up with Ralph Regan, Regal's Southern Correspondent of the Irish Independent, but a lot more over the last few weeks. I want to catch up with them before he heads back from Lexington, North Carolina, after the um, uh, after the trial um, of uh, the Corbett's came to an end last week and they went back to jail and he joins me by phone. Ralph, good morning. Good morning, Neil. What an incredible couple of weeks you've had uh, following all of the evidence. We can come up with all sorts of different reasons and conjectures as to why they're gone back to jail, but would it be fair to say, and you actually write it in part of your copy for the Irish Independent, that at the end of the day, the judge didn't believe them, there were too many holes in their story. Isn't that the case? I think so, Neil, yeah. I think um, Judge David Hall before Davidson County Superior Court, he's, he's a very experienced former prosecutor. He's a very, very strict judge. I mean, anyone who sat in the courtroom with him for the last fortnight, I mean, he's not a judge uh, to mess around with, but he's also very, very perceptive. He was specially chosen to deal with the retrial. And of course, that retrial then became a sentencing hearing when Tom and Molly Martin's Tom pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter, whereas his daughter, um, Molly, entered a no-contest plea, which in North Carolina is considered a form of uh, a form of guilty plea to the voluntary manslaughter of Jason Corbett, who was 39 years old and a father of two, Limerick widower, when he was beaten to death with a metal um, Louisville slugger baseball bat and a heavy concrete paving slab in the master bedroom of his home at Panther Creek Court uh, in the early hours of August the 2nd, 2015. Of course, both of them were convicted of a Mr. Corbett's second degree murder following a trial uh, in the same court complex, different courtroom, but the same court complex uh, in 2017. They successfully challenged that conviction to the uh, Supreme Court here in North Carolina and a retrial was ordered. Mm. And it was quite moving to see, I mean, Judge Hall, he said that, look, at the end of every trial process, we hope ideally that you arrive at the truth. But in this particular case, he said there there were three people in the master bedroom that night. They are the only ones who know the truth of what happened. And of course, Jason Corbett is dead. He left that bedroom on a stretcher taken to the morgue. Yeah. But beat him in the bed, didn't they? I mean, just, he, he, was, he was in the bed, wasn't he? He wasn't... He started, yeah, he started was while he was in bed, I believe, didn't he? Correct. Very much so. It was, it was the evidence that was given by Dr. Stuart James. Now, he did not personally give evidence during the, the sentencing hearing, but in the original trial, Dr. James was based in Florida. Um, it was put very well by Prosecutor Alan Martin. He said, like, he said, Dr. James literally wrote the book on blood spatter um, evidence analysis. He's the world's leading expert on analysing um, blood spatters and crime scenes. And his view was that Jason Corbett, the first blow that was struck, was what 
while Jason Corbett was actually in bed. Appallingly, he also gave evidence and very, very upset, very upsetting evidence that Jason Corbett was defenseless, lying helpless on the ground when he was also struck uh, with the, the, the implements. And such was the damage to his head. There was a minimum of 12 blows that were struck to the head and skull of Mr. Corbett that pathologist Dr. Craig Nelson couldn't even count the number of blows. And such was the catastrophic damage to Mr. Corbett's skull that as he was being placed on the medical examination table for his post-mortem, there were pieces of the skull actually falling out onto the table. And I mean, Dr. James's evidence was, was critical in the original trial, but the defence legal teams, there was Jay Vanoy and Jones Bird for Mr. Martins. Of course, Mr. Martins is a former FBI officer. He served 30 years within the FBI. He was a supervisor based in Tennessee of a serious anti-crime squad. He then retired and he became a counterintelligence officer with the US Department of Energy. And of course, his daughter Molly, um, she had gone to Clemson University, very prestigious university here in the South, but had, in the words of the prosecution, washed out after less than a semester. She had bounced around a number of, of quite menial jobs and then had a long history of, of, of psychiatric disorders before literally within weeks of being released from a Georgia psychiatric institution where she'd been treated for a severe bout of depression. She got a, a one-way ticket flew to Ireland to work as a nanny for Mr. Corbett's two children. And of course, Mr. Corbett lost his wife, Margaret Maggs Fitzpatrick Corbett, in November 2006 after she had suffered a severe uh, respiratory incident. And of course, he looked after the two children. They were two years and under when his wife died. And he had looked after them with the help of his family for about 18 months. And what's really tragic about this whole thing is that he was trying to become more independent, trying to become less reliant on his family when he decided to hire. He had gone through a couple of all pairs but, and they'd worked out well, but he found that it was very difficult for the children having a person for a couple of months. The children would get used to the person. They would then leave and go home. So he thought a more permanent arrangement with a full-time nanny would be better. And of course, the tragedy is he met um, Miss Miss Martins. They began a relationship. They married in June of 2011. But of course, initially, he was not aware of her history of mental health problems. And according to Prosecutor Alan Martin, Mr. Corbett was also not aware of the fact that Molly had a plan. And Molly's plan, as revealed to a psychiatrist who examined her, Dr. David Adams, before the current sentencing hearing, was that Molly's plan was she was going to get involved with Mr. Corbett. She was going to marry him. She was then going to engineer a domestic incident so that she could get emergency custody of the two children. She would divorce him mm. and then she would keep his two children. Mm. And there were. Like, remember all the audio recordings because there was audio recordings planted all over the house by her apparently and a lot of that was entered in evidence. There was a period during the trial when people were wondering, oh my God, there's a very different, sadly we know better now, but for a while we were saying there's a, a very different um, yeah, you know, we're getting a different, very different picture as to the person, um, you know, who couldn't dance for himself anymore. Um, when there was the shouting and the roaring and the kids having passwords with Molly Martins in the event of, of uh, you know, them being feeling in fear, you know, things like that. Was was that your was that your also your belief that there was a period where the, it seemed to be turning against the Corbetts? Or sorry, my apologies against against the Cor- yeah against the Corbetts. 
Yeah, very, very much so, Neil. I mean, I think any like d- d- actually, the, I think it was the morning of the, the the actual sentence when the judge decided that he. I mean, everyone was shocked because we always we thought the sentence was going to happen on a Thursday, but the judge just decided, look, we're going to go through with this. We're going to just get everything done today. And we'd done a straw poll amongst the Irish journalists that were out here, and every single one of us thought that they would walk free, that that whatever sentence would be imposed, it would not be longer than the 44 months or three years and eight months that the father and daughter had already served in custody. And, you know, very perceptively, exactly as you've said, it was because of the character assassination, really, there's no other way of putting it, that had been conducted against uh, Jason Corbett over the previous week and a half. And quite prophetically, that's exactly what the Corbett family had predicted themselves a couple of years ago when the whole appeal process began, was, I mean, Tracy Corbett Lynch, Jason's sister, and the lady who has really very bravely and very determinedly led the charge for justice for her brother. She said, look, they took Jason's life. No, no are going to try and take his good name and yeah, reputation. Yeah. And as you mentioned, you had the recordings and you had one particular recording that was played to the hearing which showed a kind of a domestic, allegedly showed a, a, a domestic violence incident whereas really what you have is a, a, a verbal row between a couple and then a chair being banged. And the point that was made by Alan Martin was, Monty Martin's had recordings all over the house. She even had hidden recording devices in Jason Corbett's car. The, The prosecution were aware that recordings had survived and those recordings had never been given to the prosecution despite their repeated requests. There was only one recording that was played to the hearing. And I think the question that did cross people's mind was, look, is that, is that the worst of what? was being depicted. I mean, the police were never called to the house and there was no actual medical evidence of any serious injuries um, inflicted to to Miss Martins as part of a domestic scenario. And of course, he was portrayed as a bully, he was portrayed as a control freak, that he was jealous of her, that he was a miser. But of course, what you weren't being told was the other side of the story, which was the fact that um, Jason Corbett had asked Molly Martins to pick out their house. And she picked out an exceptionally expensive property in a gated community at Panther Creek Court in the Meadowlands, which is in the northern part of Davidson County, in the northern section of North Carolina. And he paid for it in cash. She had wanted a BMW car. He had bought it for her. She wanted $100,000 to de- decorate the house if she was given that in cash, to the point where Mr. Corbett even gave over $40,000 to Molly Martins and her, her father, Tom, so that she could have the fairy tale wedding that she wanted at a place called Bleak House just outside Knoxville in Tennessee. And of course, Tom Martins then took full credit for the, 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 the ceremony. And at every point you're having, you're getting two different sides of the story and of course the, the really devastating part of the sentencing hearing was when you had Jack and Sarah Corbett now Jack was 10 years old Sarah was 8 years old when their father was beaten to death and that rendered them an orphan so the actions of Molly Martins and Tom Martins the two people who professed to love these two children and wanted to protect them they had basically made them orphans and they were the ones that had insisted that a Dragonfly House interviews, videotaped interviews, be played for the current hearing. And just for your listeners who are not familiar, Dragonfly House is like a social services agency in Davidson County. And the children gave statements which the prosecution and the Corbett family maintained were coached. 
And what was quite extraordinary was the fact that Mr. Corbett was beaten to death on August the 2nd. And for four full days, the children were left in the sole custody of Molly Martins and her family. And the children today maintain that they were told what to say, that they were told to talk up Molly Martins. They were told to talk up how wonderful she was. They were told to speak about their father, that they didn't like their father, that they were afraid of their father, that he got angry. And of course, within months of the children coming back to Ireland following a major custody hearing, they recanted those statements. And in multiple statements since then, they've pointed out that their father was actually a gentle giant. In fact, also in the victim impact statements, they said all of these things, that he was a gentle giant and he was a lovely man, right up into the court case, right? I mean, shockingly, I mean, I, I literally, I mean, anyone who was in courtroom number six to hear those two victim impact statements last Wednesday will never forget it. It was just, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop towards the end. Jack spoke first, Sarah spoke second. At the end of the victim impact statements, you could hear the sobs echoing around the courtroom. I mean, Molly Martins was moaning. She was crying so much. There were other members of the Martins families that were weeping. I looked over the Corbett family. You could see the tears running down their faces at the emotion of the two children. Uh, Jack Corbett looked at Molly Martins, directly looked at her and looked at the judge and said, Your Honour, don't be fooled by the civility of of, of this woman. There's a monster lurks beneath the surface. I mean, it was absolutely, you know, beyond any words of mine to articulate precisely the power of what those two children said, how they defended their father's reputation, how they shredded a lot of the allegations and accusations levelled by the the father and daughter, and even went further to say that, I mean, Judge Hall was very perceptive in focusing on what he saw as major holes in the arguments of the father and daughter. But Jack and Sarah even went further. I mean, Jack made the point, and again, very important, Jason Corbett's laptop vanished from the house. It was never found. His mobile phone vanished from the house. It was never found. And And yet Jack said he saw those two devices in an evidence bag in the home of his uncle, which is where Molly and Tom and Sharon Martins, Molly's mother, had gone because they weren't allowed back to the blood-soaked scene at Panther Creek Court. And Jack made the point that there were others involved in trying to cover up the circumstances of the death of his father. Wow, I never heard that about it being in an evidence bag and subsequently removed. What, what I do what I do vaguely remember from back in the day was when the kids came back, uh, Jack and Sarah, after the killing of their dad, um, that Molly Martins continued, for want of a better word, to, to stalk and to harass them in Ireland, didn't they? There was, a, there was a lot happening, the family told me back along, on Facebook constantly, wasn't there, on social media? Yeah, yeah it, it was relentless, Neil, very much relentless. And it was upsetting because you had two children who had lost both their parents. They lost their father in the most violent of circumstances. They were vulnerable, they were traumatised, they were trying to rebuild their lives. You had an incredibly devoted family in Limerick going to really, really great lengths to try and protect and support the children. And firstly, of course, there was this very bitter custody hearing in the United States where a judge, Brian Shipwash, he was very concerned about Molly Martin's psychiatric history of psychiatric problems to the point where one of Molly Martin's former um, boyfriends, 
had actually given evidence against her, saying that he feared for the children if they were left in her sole custody. So the children were returned to Mr. Corbett's Irish family. And Molly Martins was very upset by that. She gave an interview to an Irish media outlet where she said, my love will seek you out, my love will find you. That was interpreted by the family as a potential threat to contact the children or maybe take custody of the children. So they ended up under guard of protection in their new school. As if that wasn't bad enough, and this is the point that, that both Jack and Sarah made at the sentencing hearing, Molly Martins made attempts to hire an aircraft to fly a sign over their school saying that she would contact them or urging them to make contact with her, even to the point where they had tried to place a full-page advert in a newspaper in Limerick uh, to try and contact the children and maintain this contact. Even with all of that, Molly Martins began trying to friend uh, classmates of Sarah and Jack via social media to try and make contact with them via... um, another child. Yeah, um, and part of the victim impact statement also spoke about Sarah saying that she had difficulty settling in school, that um, she was said I was nine years old, people avoided me in school, they still do, they whisper about me. Um, she's gone on subsequently to, you know, power through life and written a book and everything, but she had awful problems coping in the early days. Do you know what was, what it was, was extraordinary? And part of your copy in one of the days in The Independent, uh, we found out that um, within uh, two weeks of the wedding itself, she consulted a divorce lawyer. I mean, she really was meticulously planning this right from the off, wasn't she? Two weeks within being married, she was on to a divorce lawyer. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And actually, the pro- prosecutor, Alan Martin, said that, again, before she even got married, she had a plan that she would marry him, she would engineer a domestic incident that would allow her to get um, emergency custody, and then she would divorce him and keep the children. But of course, the problem with her plan was she went to a divorce lawyer within a couple of weeks of marrying Jason Corbett in June of 2011 at that ceremony in outside Knoxville in Tennessee that I mentioned. But the difficulty was the divorce lawyer told her, yes, you would be entitled to half of whatever marital assets there are, but the children are not yours. She was not the biological mother, although she claimed, even to her bridesmaids on the day of her wedding, she claimed that Sarah was her child and that she had known mags and all these kind of lies. So her difficulty was she needed Jason Corbett to sign adoption papers, which would have given her equal rights to the children in the event of a divorce. But at this time, I think he was very concerned about her her mental health and he was even more concerned about her increasingly bizarre behaviour and he would not sign adoption papers. Mm. He wouldn't even sign adoption papers when he was being pressured to do so by her father, Tom, and by her brother, Molly, both of which emerged during the current hearing. He would not sign the adoption papers and that was the difficulty for Molly Martins. She actually went to three separate divorce lawyers trying to ascertain what her rights were. The first divorce lawyer was just on the basis of her rights to the children, but the next two solicitors or she contacted was on the basis of, well, what would be her rights to the children in the events of domestic violence incidents? And of course, she started talking about this campaign of alleged abuse, uh, both to those lawyers and to a number of friends of hers. And her friends gave evidence in this particular hearing. They did not give evidence in the first hearing. Mm, okay. Uh, one of the articles that I did read, read, along with a lot of yours, was in the Irish Times. They said that police believe detectives thinks, think uh, she found out he was leaving her. She brought her father to be a witness to whatever she had planned for that night. 
Uh, police believe Sarah uh, did wake up with a nightmare and that precipitated some kind of an argument where Molly grabbed a brick and smashed Jason across the head but that he didn't die. Of course, her dad had the baseball bat. As we said earlier, he made it out of the bed and stumbled towards the bathroom with her chasing him with the brick. He tried to make it to the master bedroom door and there is a bloodied handprint visible in the door sliding downwards. The judge um, did look very closely at that, didn't he? And he didn't believe it. Uh, he said that there were holes in the evidence. One of them speak to me about Mr. Martins being an FBI agent and the judge said, why didn't you call for backup, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it really was. It's where you got all the proof that was required that, that Judge Hall was, in my opinion, I think he was the right man for this case. He was very perceptive. He had read every single report that had been supplied to them and there's a huge amount of documentation involved in this case. And the ones, the things he focused in on were the things that didn't really feature during the sentencing hearing. I mean, and it's something a lot of us hadn't even thought about. He made the point, he said, look, and the, the story for your listeners who aren't familiar with it is that Tom and, Mal, Tom and Sharon Martins' wife were asleep in a, in a guest bedroom in the basement. Tom, Mal, Tom Martin's version of events is that he heard shouting and screaming coming from the upper bed, the, the bedroom upstairs. He jumped out of bed in his boxer shorts. He grabbed the metal baseball bat. He thought originally it was a break-in. He ran upstairs. He opened the door of the master bedroom to tell when he realised that it was some kind of a domestic incident. He opened the door of the bedroom to tell his son-in-law and his daughter to calm things down and he said he saw his daughter being held by the throat and that's what began in his words the fatal confrontation but in reality the judge made the point look you're 30 years in the FBI you're working as a counterintelligence operative for the US Department of Energy you have an exceptionally long period in law enforcement and yet you don't do the one thing that every rookie cop is taught to do if you're going into a threatening situation, you call for backup. He didn't ring the police. Even more extraordinary, and I don't want to overuse that word in, in the interview, but it really was extraordinary that everyone was being asked to believe that Sharon Martins, Mr. Martin's wife and Molly's mother, who had spoken at length about the fact that she thought that it was a verbal, um, there was a verbally abusive relationship between her daughter and her Irish son-in-law, and she feared it could be a physically abusive relationship. And yet, in her own words to police, when she heard the screaming and the thuds from upstairs, her husband left armed with a baseball bat, and she went back to sleep. Went back to sleep. She never left the bedroom. Yeah, I know. She never went upstairs to investigate. She never went to check on, on the condition of her daughter. And Tom Martins never called the police yeah. until after Jason Corbett was dead. Yeah. And the judge said it just wasn't believable. Yeah. There were so many other elements to the story as well that he found just didn't add up. And I think that's the reason why he decided, well, whereas everybody else thought, well, look, they, they may very well get a sentence. I mean, the minimum sentence that could have been applied was probation. I don't think that was ever going to happen on the basis of the fact that Tom and Molly Martins walked out of that master bedroom absolutely uninjured. Their clothing wasn't torn. They didn't have a bruise. They didn't have a visible injury. They didn't have any scratches. To the point where the judge even noted that Molly Martins was wearing a very fine filigree bracelet on her hand. She admitted she was wearing that bracelet all the way through a confrontation that, in her words, was effectively a struggle for life mm -hmm. or death mm -hmm. with her larger, stronger, bigger um, husband. And yet, at the end of the confrontation, 
a bracelet wasn't damaged, it wasn't torn, it wasn't shattered. It was it was in exactly the same condition it was in as before the as when the before the incident started. How would you ever win a case like this if the first blows on the dead man were struck when he was lying on a bed? For God's sake, Ralph. The baseball bat was a gift for uh, Jack, and uh, the brick apparently was because Molly Martin said they used to paint bricks in the house for art. Was it? No one's going to believe that kind of nonsense. Surely, be to God. No, and th- there were so many contradictions in her story. I mean, for instance, Molly Martins told police that night, I never told anyone about the abuse. But then during the current hearing, we had at least three friends of Molly Martins who spoke about the fact that she had confided in them in the abuse. Um, she said on the one hand, oh, I read about colouring these paving bricks on Pinterest. But then we had one of her friends saying, no, no, no. Um, we had spoken about it because I had done it with my kids and she wanted to do, to do it with her kids. So she had this heavy brick on her bedside table. And I mean, anyone who saw the brick would have realized that one blow with this on the head uh, and someone would be, I mean, if they weren't killed, they were going to be basically very, very seriously injured. Yeah. And then if you look at the metal baseball bat, Tom Martin said it had belonged to his son and that he decided he wanted to give it to Jack. So he brought it. himself and his wife had decided at the very last minute that they would go and visit um, Jason and Molly at Panther Creek Court. It's a five-hour drive from Knoxville to that particular property. They brought the baseball bat, but Tom Martins had not given it to the child that night. It was in the downstairs guest bedroom, and he grabbed it to go upstairs and investigate when he said he heard the sound of screaming and thuds coming from the ceiling. Okay, okay. Incidentally, um, when she arrived in Limerick to work as the nanny, she was only weeks after being released from a psychiatric institution in the state of Georgia. I believe she is now undergoing... She's going under, undergoing detailed psychiatric assessment in jail, and Tom Martins apparently is in spe- special protective measures because of his career as a law enforcement officer. Is that the case? Correct, yeah. Tom Martin, they both, well, up until the current sentencing hearing, they had both served three years and eight months of 20 to 25 years uh, sentences imposed for second degree murder. Of course, that conviction was quashed, but the judge gave them full credit for the three years and eight months that they've already served. Tom Martin's, because of his law enforcement background, is in special measures within uh, a North Carolina prison. He's in, under, in protective custody. He has been described as a model prisoner and his lawyer, Jay Vanoy, has said that he will be released in seven months' time. Of course, his wife, Sharon, is being treated for cancer at the moment. Molly, um, the judge, didn't specifically reference the sections of the reports that he was concerned about, but he had detailed medical and psychiatric reports submitted to him and he expressed his concern over portions of those reports and he said, I want a full psychiatric assessment conducted on her in custody. And he also said quite pointedly, I want her placed on suicide watch. Okay, okay. As always, thank you so much, Ralph Regal, not just this time round, but over the years covering this case. It's probably far from finished, but for now, much obliged to you. Thank you for everything over the last couple of weeks. Ralph Regal, Southern Correspondent with the Irish Independent. Text 086 8104 106. Quick call this side of 10. 
Talk to Neil Prendeville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. One of the stories I finished up with on Friday is the fact that we're not going to have an official family switch on of the Christmas lights yet again. I was checking it at the weekend. Dublin will have an official family switch on. Limerick will have an official family switch on. And so will Waterford. I'm quite sure other towns and villages across the country as well will. But Cork City will not. The council, or indeed the executives of the council, have said no. Now, I wanted to quick chat because he can't talk to me after 10. Kevin Hurley, who is the president of the Cork Business Association. Kevin, good morning. Um, Hi, Neil. Good morning. The, the Lord Mayor told me on Friday morning, Kieran McCarthy, it was to do with they couldn't afford the switch on. It could cost anywhere between 50 and 100 grand. Do you go along with that? Well, Neil, first of all, I don't make any decisions in relation to turning off or on lights uh, um, regarding Christmas lights. We're, we're just representing the businesses within the community of, of, of the island of Cork City Centre. Um, well, you, but you must say, have been asking them, will they be turned on or why they aren't being turned on? Well, we did, but the, the, the line that we got back um, was not just to do with budget. It was also to do with the health and safety issue. The lights were switched on in 2019 on Patrick Street and uh, I'm sure you recall you had a, a lot of people ringing in that time that there was a uh, serious uh, health and safety issue um, with the amount of people that arrived into the city centre for the turning on of the lights. And just to put it in perspective, Neil, there's whatever 20,000, 30,000 people come in for the parade on Patrick's Day, but that's over a two kilometre radius. Um, the Christmas lights one is all around Patrick Street. It's within, you know, two, three hundred metres. So it was a health and safety issue. So I understand what they're saying in relation to the budget, but it was certainly um, a health and safety and we definitely do not want anything like that happening. Yeah, but you know city. what that happened? They put barricades up blocking off all of the side, side streets and the arteries onto uh, Patrick Street. The likes of Winthrop Street was blocked off. Coke Street was blocked off. Marlborough Street was blocked off. Princess Street. Um, that's why people were literally caught and trapped inside in a group on Patrick Street. They had nowhere to go, left and right in them. Yeah, I think that's what happened back back in the day. Look, but Neil, the 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 decision has been made. It's not happening. They're switching on lights on Friday evening. You know, there's nothing you or me or anyone can do about it. We've just got to take it on the chin. I'd love to see it, to be honest with you. I own three businesses within the city centre, and if there's a, a, a massive gang of people arriving in, it's, it's, it only benefits uh, our, our business. Totally. But, but why was it possible for all of the other years to do it? Has it become, it's just become too popular, is it? I think that's possibly it, Neil. I mean, I remember in years gone by when it was switched on, there might have been only three or 4,000 people in the city for it. But, I mean, in 2019, there must have been 20,000 people that came into Patrick Street that evening and that caused the hassle. And, yeah, look, they've made, they've made that decision. So. But Dublin has it. Uh, Limerick will have a big light switch on. They have a massive plan, uh, project plan for the back end of November in Waterford. Huge big event. How come they can do it? I know, I agree with you Neil and I've been to the one in Killarney a few times myself where they've switched on the lights and it's fantastic but look, it's just not happening in Cork unfortunately this year Okay, and we just lie down and take it? Um, <laughs> I don't know I don't know what, what, what do you want me to say there Neil I, I, You would prefer like, if they were I, switched on but it's not your call I would, of, of course, course yeah. absolutely I, 100% I'd love it I'd love it. I think it's, it would add to the atmosphere and add to the thing of the city. But as I said to you, you know, like Cork City Council do a super job in 90, 95% or 99% of the time. I mean, if you look at the Patrick's Day Parade, it's absolutely fantastic. So to be fair to them, look, they've made that decision on this occasion. We will certainly, in our meetings with them, we'll be bringing it up um, with them in relation to 2024. That 
Okay, I think I've lost the line, unfortunately, but I got the points that was being, that were being made by Kevin Hurley. It's a lot more than, to do than just the money. That's what Kieran McCarthy told me on Friday. It also has to do with the same issues uh, when we last had the actual switch on, and that was health and safety issues. But I won't be letting this one go. More on that after 10. Your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868104106. Now... Show. Red FM. Uh, your thoughts, actually, um, in response to the fact that we are not going to have uh, yet another year um, of no official family switch on of the uh, city lights, particularly the Patrick Street lights. Uh, you know, comments involved in that include, yet they still had the Pride Parade and a week-long celebration on top for the entire month of June dedicated to it. And... Um, Good luck to him. Uh, but if it's about money, I suppose. Um, an absolute joke. Is there any wonder Cork City is dying? Like all decisions made by this council, yet another stupid one. Thank God there's an election on the way. The people of Cork deserve better than this shower with one agenda to cripple the city. <laughs> Come here. You're reading this one all wrong. There isn't a councillor in city council, I would think, that would actually be actually guilty of this or be part of the reason why. This is an executive decision, not made by councillors themselves. Uh, you're looking for a light switch on? Head out to Watergrass Hill on the the 24th. Take part in our official switch on. It'll be a great night. I'd like to hear from other villages and towns across the county who are also having family nights where they're switching on the lights. Cork City Council is too many chiefs and too little Indians. Uh, Why are the traders accepting things like they are? Town has been killed off by a load of Grinches. Neil, this is more to do with laziness, lack of planning and lack of organisation. Shame yet again on silly council, City Council. It's an overrated event anyway. You stand around in the cold and wait for the lights to be switched on. You can't see the stage because the street is bendy. No thanks, I'd be staying at home anyway in front of a warm fire. Many others disagree and they love the event. 400,000 on fake trees that don't work. 18 grand a year to keep them doing nothing. And we can't have a simple light switch on for the kids of Cork. I despair. That's an interesting text uh, and it's a good text to introduce Councillor Ken Collins who will be up on his feet tonight at Council by all accounts. Ken, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you this morning? I'm good. So what we know at this stage is it's not necessarily just about the money or the lack of it. I'm also hearing that it has to do with health and safety issues and crowd security, as if no other city around the world doesn't have similar kind of situations and they seem to manage it. Um, are you bringing this up tonight or what? Yeah, we're looking for, the Champagne Group, we're looking for suspension standing order so we can discuss this this evening. Um, I believe it's an absolute disgrace what's happening here. I spoke to you this time last year in yep. relation to this matter as well and we cited health and safety. This year is health and safety and budget. Um, being honest with you, it's if they're on about corralling people into the city centre, let's have a parade, let's, let's change it up, you know, let's go for... You know, like the American style, you don't have to corral people into one small cramp. We're, we're a city, we're an island. You, it's like the Dragon Shandon, for instance. It works well, it walks through the city and, and everybody enjoys the event. Um, but like, you, 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 it's not as if Patrick Street isn't a wide city, a re- wide street. It's extremely wide. Exactly. And my thing is, right, you have children here, right? Santa is expensive to go to see. And this is an event that people will enjoy. You can have your street vendors on either side of Patrick Street and people will go in and enjoy that and have Christmas and get the Christmas feel. The businesses that pay high rates inside the city centre would benefit them with people spending a few pounds inside. So it's a win-win for everybody. I just think, you know, Christmas comes every year, the budget comes every year. Health and safety, we, we, we 
decided this last year that it was a health and safety. They took 12 months to work on this and the executive did not do it. It's so disappointing. Actually, Pixar could, do, could create a movie on this, Cox City Council can for Christmas. You know, it's crazy. No, I shouldn't laugh because there are texts here calling them a bunch of Grinches. Uh, I mean, the, like... Well, uh, I, I'm stopping short of calling them that as well because at the end of the day, you children out there that love Christmas, it's an event. You go down... As I said last year to you, you go down Norman Street, just the lights beyond, just and then into Patrick Street. Like you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful event for families, and it's a family event as well, and it's free. You know? But was it? Could it have been the case, right? You know, with regards to the last one, which would have been what uh, 2019. Yes. Yeah, that maybe Cork City Council were contacted by Ongarda Shikona. Maybe they were contacted by the ambulance crews. Maybe they were contacted by the fire brigade and told. This is a health and safety issue, that it really isn't their call. Well, there's risk assessment officers in place within Cox City Council. They should know what that's their job. And if they're corralling people into a small area and creating an issue, shame on them. It was their fault. They shouldn't have to do it. The, the, the island is such a big place that people can walk around freely and you don't have to have a stage. You can just have this Christmas feel, Christmas pageant going through the city. It's simple, you know. I mean, we, we, we you, you spoke about the trees. Oh, yeah, you know? that's interesting. Don't have any stage, then you wouldn't need any barriers, which are dangerous anyway, as we know from history. And then people can just mull around wherever they want, and the lights come on. Yes, uh, yes, the lights come on. You'd have Santa there turning it up. would switch it on in some sort of, you know, a visual display. We did something to burning a cork years ago into the Brown Thomas building, and you can do, you can imagine anything, you know. I just think, you know, it's 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 wrong for Cork City Council executives to do this to the people of Cork and to the businesses because they pay their rates. Yeah, it would have been a big earner for them, wouldn't it? It would have. It would have been fantastic for everyone. You know, and you can have the, 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 the traders then, you know, the street traders have their little chaos there with your coffee and your whatever. And, and you know, the, the little children with their little flashy lights and it's just, it's gone again now for another Christmas. So since 2019, you know, we are at the bad humbug of this country at the moment. And, you know, it's disappointing. Well, when you look at the comparison over in Waterford, they have a thing called... Now, I know we have events on and Glow has been very successful. I think they might be moving that event actually to Emmett Place. But winter, right. they call it Winterville in, in, in Waterford. And they're having um, a massive light switch on and Santa Claus is arriving. Um, and there's a big, big, big festive family night planned for the switch on on um, Friday, November 17th. How, how can they do that? I mean, how do they know how to do it better? Well, that's that's going to be my question this evening. You know, other other cities and, and counties can do it. We can't for reasons I, I, I don't get the... I, I don't understand why, like, you know, so... Um, we'll be asking questions tonight, and I've spoken with the Lord Mayor Cork, and he's agreed that he will accept that we, he will take the suspension of standing orders, obviously we'll go to a vote. But I don't, as you said earlier, I don't think any councillor would reject a, a debate on this tonight. OK, let's see what happens tonight, then we might get an opportunity to chat in the morning. So for now, thanks, Ken. Do appreciate it. OK, okay so that will be an issue tonight at Council. Thanks to Ken Collins. Back to the phone lines we go. I will get to more texts in a moment. Pat, good morning. Hi, Lee. All right, your me? thoughts. Go ahead. I can hear you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think... I think it's a major chance to showcase Cork as the so-called second uh, city, and uh, I think it's 
the people of Cork have been disappointed again for the second year and uh, yeah, for the second year since uh, last uh, Christmas. And to be honest, this problem should have been sorted out since uh, January. Um, and with respect to health and safety, I mean, they're well able to hold concerts in Cork and there's no problems there, so that should all have been sorted yeah, out. Yeah, bear in mind, November. you know, you would have children in buggies and babes in arms at an event like that. You possibly wouldn't have those children and buggies and babes in arms at a concert. And, and I, I, don't, I don't have a background in crowd control and security, yeah. but I, I had been thinking that why would you put barricades on the side streets, you know, um, where, 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 where people are very limited in their movement. If there were no barricades, then, you know, they were saying that in 2019, you know, people were trapped. Well, they were only trapped because of the barricades. Do you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying, Neil, and I think that's a very good point, to be honest, but also with respect to other uh, Christmas uh, festivals around the world, especially around uh, Europe and uh, Germany and Holland or so, there are, uh, these events are well uh, uh, supervised for safety because you do have fundamentalism, of course, across uh, Europe. Now, this is Cork that we're talking about, so health and safety is, of course, of uh, paramount, but we don't have that risk of... um, you know, uh, terrorism. At no, and I don't think that figured so, in the decision at all, to be fair. Exactly. It, exactly. it had more so, to do with um, health and safety and crowd control. But how come it's been uh, possible to do this every year? And it's only for the last two years or maybe since uh, COVID that this is not possible. I mean, they have a structure in place. They have a process in place and it's worked. So why not just continue with that uh, process? I have no why idea, man, and I'm hoping that maybe yeah. some new light yeah. will be shed on it tonight rather than, you know, the same statement that was given out in 2019, given out again and given out last year. So hopefully exactly. things will, will get some real new information to be able to chew over tonight. But thanks for that. Appreciate it. Much obliged. Um, uh, Sullivan's Key has a Christmas craft market. Uh, Glow, the Christmas market. Uh, we got the Christmas at the Marina Market. Starts on the November the 24th. I'm trying to accentuate the positive here. Cove's got a Christmas Arts and Crafts Fair. Ballymaloo has a craft fair over Christmas. Glountown has a Christmas craft fair. There's a fair on in Farron Woods. There's a big Christmas market indoors in Charleville. Middleton will have their Christmas fair. Temple Breedy, I see. The Taste of Cork and Waterford Christmas markets will happen. Ballyvalan House. Mitchellstown's got a big Christmas market and Christmas event planned, so do keep them coming. One another one, if you text the Lord Mayor, could probably pay for it out of his own expenses. There's plenty of money for stupid fake trees, but none for stewards or security, is it? No one within City Hall has put their hand up to say, yes, it was me that splashed out the 400k on useless electric trees. Uh, well, you know, it is known who actually signed for it and it is known who, you know, you know, pushed the idea and actually did, did, the, did the deal. But they didn't do anything wrong in any way, shape or form. I mean, they're only following orders. Um, 400 euro, and you, you can't just hone in on one person actually and, and blame them, point the finger at them. I mean, the criticism is really at the whole executive for not getting some kind of... Uh, research done into these trees which did turn out to be useless. Council can't even clear the drains before or after heavy rain they put up stupid fake plants on the streets, waste money and messing up the city's roads and the city itself they're too busy on their jollies to have families in the city for a couple of hours enjoying themselves. Not to mention how quiet they're all getting uh, the guards to make the city safe. Sorry, I don't understand that part of it, but I know what you're saying. It's taken away a bit of family fun. My kids love it when they were small, as we did. We did shop. We spent money when we were in the city on that night. Shame on them. And bring back people to the city. It's dying a death in there. And back to the phone lines we go. Gillian, good morning. Hi. Okay. Were you there? 
Last light, light yeah. the last light up in 19? Yeah, we were, we, uh, my whole family were up there and we were barricaded in like you couldn't move. There was fire trucks, we were right back as far as the fire truck and you couldn't move even to get into the actual Patrick Street itself. So where were you exactly, um, do you mind me asking? Um... Monsoon. I remember taking a picture by Monsoon. I don't even know if it's still there or not. It was kind of around there and there was this fire trucks blocking the street there so you couldn't get out any further. Monsoon would be maybe around the bend of the road on Patrick Street, wouldn't it? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Would it be near the would it be near the pavilion, kinda? Um Yeah, yeah. The, maybe. The, around I, the Victoria Hotel yeah. area is what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, and and yeah. tell me about the barricades. Um, well, they they had they had uh, things in to block people from coming down, like all the side streets there by um, Upper Lane and all those. They weren't leaving anybody even walking down walk down those streets. If they had those open, people are free to come and go. Then, as they please, they're not stuck inside in one little area, jammed on top of each other and things like that. You know, it, like there's no need for even the fire trucks to be there. I think. Okay. You, know, you could see back another bit if they weren't there and people were trying to kind of get in because they were being blocked by the fire truck you know they couldn't see past it so people were pushing in on top of each okay. other so if it was a much more casual event right where you didn't have yeah, big definitely. trucks in the way and you didn't have barricades and families just came in found their own safe spot and enjoyed it and were able to move that's in and it, out of that, it might have been down Carey's Lane weird, like, they might have gone yeah. down Princeton Street whatever yeah and not just be stuck in the one area and be jammed in. I mean, you could move a lot more freely if they weren't blocking off streets and things like that. You could stay for five minutes, you could stay for an hour. I mean, it brings more business into the city as well. Shops can stay open later and, you know, people are doing their Christmas shopping, they're in more Christmassy feel and things like that. Yeah, how did they ever cope when we were winning the hurling and the football All-Irelands and you had fifty and 60,000 yeah. people and a team came around Paddy Barry's Corner across Pastrick's Bridge and down onto Patrick Street to thousands of people waiting for them. Never a problem. Yeah, I think it's just an excuse. The money side of it is just an excuse. And okay, there probably is health and safety, but move all these barricades and things like that and it won't be as much well, of a health and safety issue, I yeah, think. The anyway. barricades will cause a crush. And did you feel uncomfortable on that night? Uh, like at the beginning when we got there first, we decided to stand back so it wasn't too bad. But then as people were coming in, it was it was very packed in. So it was a little bit unsafe. And we'd smaller children then because it's a few years ago. My youngest now was eight. So he's a bit older. But like we were putting him on our shoulders and backs and things like that. So it was it was a little bit uncomfortable. All right, being jammed in like that. But as I say... Wouldn't like to be the person getting caught jammed against a barricade though. Yeah. Yeah. Or the metal railings, you know what I mean? Same thing. They're yeah. the barricades we're talking about. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that. Thank you, Gillian. Uh, by okay. email, I was wondering what the people of Cork thought about maybe lighting up the Bells of Shandon instead. It's such an iconic landmark. On Wednesday evening, I was coming down by the barracks in the Bells Field and I saw in the distance that the North Cathedral was totally lit up. It looked great to see the colours. But over to the right, there was a black building that is the Shandon Bells. Even if the clocks were lit up, it would help, says Miriam. Did I, do I remember something vaguely from a couple of weeks ago that there was some problem the lights used to be lit up and they were sponsored were they sponsored by Heineken for a period of time or something and they don't have anybody to sponsor them anymore and on that basis they're switched off I'm open to correction on that um, did you, you wanted to jump in on, on, on Winterval yeah, in Waterford is just, it? just on Waterford generally and I think the Winterval is a great 
microchism of the differences between the two city councils in that you can see in Winterville and Waterford it's over a couple of weeks there's no one big event that goes on but they've really kind of made Waterford the winter destination you see people coming from all across the southeast and indeed even from Cork up there every year because Winterville is this big Waterford festival in the same way that we have the jazz Okay, that's kind of their version of the jazz they'll have 40 events on offer at the festival yeah. and it is it will open with this is from this is Waterford County Council speaking right or yep. City Council whichever with an awesome Christmas parade yeah <laughs> I mean well, that's the kind of thing that absolutely we should be having down here you know like I mean at the same time Waterford are talking about awesome Christmas parades they have Waterford on ice which is in the middle of town they have you know all the different events that are planned all the Christmas markets that are right slap bang in the middle of the city and we're talking about well sorry we can't turn on any Christmas lights and a light switch on in Waterford as well. yeah 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 yeah. but like I mean I can't understand why in Waterford they can do it and we can't hear it's not like we don't have big enough streets to be able to accommodate a, a, a light switch on you know and like, but it's in my but like look at the Greenway in Waterford look at what they did with the Viking Quarter down there pedestrianising all that um, there's a lot of lessons that Waterford can actually the people of Cork and the council particularly Cork City Council can learn from, from down Waterford because they're just miles ahead with trying to bring people into the city and when you go Why into Waterford Why would they Waterford, not want to do it though I, I can't but, like, no, but there must be some reason because like they are their family everybody in Cork City Council has their own family and their own kids so why are they afraid of claims or something I, people falling or making fake claims against them but they, like, they, they, but they say it's they say it's health and safety but like would it not like I can't understand why they can't admit their own mistake as to what happened in 2019 and say right we're doing it this year we've learned from our mistakes in the past we're not going to barricade off streets let's drive on bad idea let's get it we done to, yeah. Yeah. let's just okay. get it done I mean Kilkenny is the same you go into Kilkenny the place is teeming because it's all pedestrianised and you've Kilkenny Castle obviously which helps but it's just like they're not like you know we're, we should be way ahead in Cork like I'm sorry you know somebody who's very proud from Cork yeah. but living down no, in Waterford I, I actually felt really that. annoyed living yeah. down there and saying why can't we have this in Cork yeah. like, there's no excuse yeah. Yeah. yeah can we just double check Glow um, which was the Grand Parade it's not happening on the Grand Parade I'm told and but something to replace it on Emmett Place. It would be good to know what that was because that was a great addition uh, to the city at Christmas time. If you're a business person, of course, you'll feel that you've been totally neglected. I mean, you want to see the traffic yesterday afternoon, round about, I don't know, half two, three o'clock. I was coming back from up the country and I was driving along the South Ring and the exit from Maham Point, it was frightening the amount of cars that were queuing and queuing and queuing to get off the South Ring to get up onto the exit uh, for Mahan. It's that popular. Uh, never mind. I mean, what, what, the, what they're doing down in the Marina Market is just an incredible uh, achievement. And Christmas is going to be awesome down there as well. Um, and that goes to show that things can be done. If there's a will, there's a way. I'll be switching on the lights in my house on Sunday at 7 o'clock, Neil, if anybody wants to come in and take a look. Thank you for that. Uh, I've gone in. I've gone into the lights for years, and it's never been an issue. It used to be lovely. I've never ever had any bother. They need to bring it back to boost business around town. Uh, for God's sake, isn't it the only time of the year that the city glows and the kids and the adults enjoy it? Weren't they always also saying that um, they were going to have to curtail the amount of time that the lights would actually be on? because of utility charges and the cost of them. It's a disgrace. I brought my son to see the lights since his first Christmas. He was three weeks old. He's 18 now. It stopped because of COVID, I know. But now since COVID is gone, it just never came back. It's such a shame for the city and the Cork people. I went in, did shopping, eat it, and we ate out, and we watched the lights 
and then came home. Businesses will surely be affected too. Keep them coming. Text 0868104106. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Gork's Red FM. Yes, indeed. Pick up the phone just like Will has done and Alan as well. Talk to Will first because he's under a bit of pressure. Will, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Okay, if it's about money, what, what's your point? Go ahead. Well, look, Neil, for once, I'm going to take away the flag from City Hall. If City Hall put up these lights, the cost of that would go out of ordinary people's money. That's all money over in City Hall. And that regard, that'll be the people themselves paying for the lights. At the same time, for the last 12 months, city centre businesses have had a bump of time. Teddy Jazz Festival, where they made millions. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, 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 at the, they're at the top of the ladder as against profits, and here they are, they're so mean and stingy, they won't pay out a small amount of money to, to, draw, to draw the people into town. Now, my answer to that is, people shouldn't go into town. Hit them in the pocket, and they might come out next year. They might come out next year and put up the lights if we hit them this year. There is an alternative, Neil. You can go out to any of the shopping centres on the outside. You won't have to pay for parking. The lights will be lovely. Santa Claus will be there. You can have you can do anything you want. You can bring your family for a meal. Yeah. Everything that's in the city centre is in all the the the, the outskirts the supermarkets. Yeah, but you're you're you're, you're going to you're going to allow the city to die. Then is it? Uh, no, the business people are going to allow the city to die. The people who have the, who have creamed it for so long, the people who have mon- big money in the banks, they're going to allow it to die. They, they they expect the ordinary people to spend to spend money from. The, 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 the funds in city council again to top up their millions that shouldn't be allowed a lot of those companies inside in Cork City though are international companies there's from overseas a lot of them have headquarters in America or Paris or London that, may, um, Neil, they, that they, makes you, them bigger again that you, makes them yeah, bigger again they must, be, they must be billionaires so not millionaires yeah but you wouldn't be able to find a person responsible for allocating a few bob for Christmas lights they're big corporations I know that was the problem in the past when they were trying to get businesses to contribute on Leaside the, the big international ones they just weren't contactable it would be you know the only people you'd be able to walk into would be the family shops that have been on Leaside for many many years those that would be able to make a call on spending a few bob that's you know that's what I'm saying but like but you, they, you see why should the city this- why, you're making it sound like a ghost town. You're making it sound like a ghost town that there's nobody to talk to. There are plenty of people there to talk to when they want to charge you. Go yeah. to any shop inside in town. And look, if the, if the millionaire business people are out of the country, speak to the manager. Surely there's somebody there to speak for them. Maybe so, maybe so. But again, they do pay high rates, you know, and that goes to city council. So why can't some of their rates money be spent on switching on the lights? I don't. I don't believe that it would cost a hundred grand. I really don't. Like I think it could be done easily for ten or twenty or thirty grand. Um, well, Lee, you, you need to explain that to the, the, the likes of Kevin Holly that just spoke to a while ago. It's not going to cost you that much, Kevin. Come on, get get a meeting going. Put your hands in your pockets and look after the people of Cargo. I've looked after you long enough. But that's if it's about money and if it's about health and safety. The money doesn't matter. Uh, so health and safety is only, uh, it's only, it's only an excuse. They don't want to put their hands in their pocket, Neil. All right, but appreciate that. And this, idea, this, this idea that you have, Neil, that you can't speak to anyone, look, there's managers and super managers and damagers and all those kind of people inside in the shops inside in town. Speak to them. And if they don't want to look after the shop, if they don't want to look after the people the cock, get outside the city and go and bring your family where you won't be charged for parking, you won't be charged for lots of things, you'll have loads of lights, you'll have the Christmas festivities, your family won't go over by not going into the city centre. The traders will. 
and that would be their own fault. And as they say on Lee's side, they should have their own whip round. I get what you're saying. Thanks a lot, Will. Uh, Sarah's standing by. Actually, I talked to Sarah first and then Alan. Is that all right? Quickly. Sarah, good morning. Hi, Neil. How okay. are you? Okay. Have you a little child? You have? You have a small one? Yeah. We have a two-year-old and he does not know Cork Christmas. So, in fairness, he doesn't really know Christmas yet either properly. This is the first proper year of, you know, Sanji is going to be becoming a thing this year. But, like, Very us, like, we always went for turning on the lights as a couple um, in the city, even without having a child. It was always the event to go to. Um, like, we also attend the Cork City Pride Parade because that's very important for us as a family. Um, and there's huge support, huge expense that goes into that. So, so what I, would be I the just, one main big pride event that would be um, on, say, Patrick Street that would gather a so, crowd? Yeah, like the, the parade was huge this year. Absolutely crazy. It was lovely. It was really nice. And like that now, we brought our son. He had a little pride t-shirt on and he's standing there on one of the pillars at the lights by Brown Thomas waving at everybody, you know. And it was he was very much involved in the parade. Everyone was smiling and waving back at him. But other than that, you know, it's a huge event. It's It's supported by so many businesses and it brings such a great buzz to the city. And the same goes for the Christmas lights over the years. Like, the fact that it hasn't been there for the last couple of years, okay, fair enough, COVID was, was a problem for a few years. I thought last year, because I hadn't actually heard about the fact that it was health and safety, I thought last year was another extra year of COVID, and I kind of went, oh, for God's sake, well, why is every other city and county able to do this? Um, so for last year, we said, look, whatever, you know, it's fine. We stayed in Kinsale, and actually they turned on the Christmas lights in Kinsale the night of our son's first birthday. So it was a beautiful event last year. Yeah, but, and, but, but you'd have less people attending it, no disrespect. Exactly. And there what was if, no... So what if Cork City Council decided that they would have, like part of it in, Lim- in Waterford is that it's a parade that Santa Claus would arrive on Leaside and start maybe at the junction of the Mall and Grand Parade travel all the way up you'd have so then you'd have people all along the grand parade as well as patrick yeah, street it, so you wouldn't have it, people it just looking up and gathering factor, in one yeah. area you know that's still a huge crowd control issue you know and the the presence of the guards and everything even on pride parade day was very visible you know there was a lot of security around there was the ambulances around it was it was very well managed so i don't understand why they can't have the same volume of management for the christmas lights and have a parade um, instead of a, st- a stationary stage that everybody's trying to get could. as close to as they can well like Eve, the Eve, only thing that i thought of is if they actually put up say large speakers up around the city so you know uh, all along all Plunkett Street up and down Patrick Street and made it somewhat of like a radio event where they're blasting out Christmas songs they're having the chats over the speakers people can go shop to shop and do their shopping still have the vendors there have the Christmas atmosphere and then a big big voice comes on at a particular time maybe Santa comes on at a particular time he talks about Cork City how beautiful it is and then the Santa does the countdown yeah, over the speakers oh, sure, and you, should be, you should be right. involved in some of the planning and all of this there, this world <laughs> we've become so ultra cautious about everything now haven't we it's also crazy. touchy-feely like and everybody's it's all this fear of everything going wrong or oh we can't do that and we mustn't do that like where's our spirit like where's our ingenuity you know where's our drive just come up with a way of making things work yeah 
you know? Like, and then make, you know, the, the car park's free for the day for people to go in. Like, I'd love to bring my son. I want to show him Cork City Christmas. I want to show him the turning on of the Christmas lights. I want that to be part of our family tradition. Of course you do. Yeah, of course you do. But you want it to be a part of it every year. If they're going to decide that Cork is different to every other city in the country that can't quite figure out how to manage things, it just doesn't, it's, it's very disappointing. All right, thanks for that. Busy morning this morning. Alan, good morning. You were in London last year. Was there a switch on? Morning, Neil. Yeah, um, so we planned a few days in London last year, just checking out some different things to do. Found out that the lights were coming on on Oxford Street on a particular day. I think it was a Friday. Um, no exact time from what I can remember. So we're in, we're doing a shopping, have a coffee, whatever, and then you're out in the street. It's cold, people are wrapped up, and then bang, lights come on. People stop, take pictures. It was just amazing. So, like, that lady before there, she just spoke. What she said is exactly... Like what should be done in Cork? Like I can't see where health and safety came into it. It didn't come into it in London, one hundred percent. So like you weren't told anything, you weren't segregated. There was no stage, no nothing. It was just the whole street lit up, and it was just like bang. It was amazing to see it, and people stopped, and they said photographs, you know, and and it just took the whole, made the whole day so much more. Yeah, but you know the one in Oxford. So were people caught by surprise? This was not a planned switch on, though, was it? So you, you in London, the different boroughs have different days when they switch them on. So like we're going to go to London again in two weeks' time, so we'll check out, is, is it going to be on somewhere else? We might go down there. But it, it didn't give you an exact time, but we happened to be in London. We knew it was going to come on on Oxford Street. Uh, I think it was about five o'clock. But, you know, there was no no actual plan for it. It was just bang and it came on. But like that, that latest point earlier, just before, you could have the Christmas songs coming on. You could say the countdown starts and people are in and out of shops doing their thing and then bang lights come on. People take pictures, videos, whatever it may be and just makes it an actual day. Like this, I know, not, I know. There are five parades in Killarney between now and the 22nd of, November, of December. They have a parade there on the 25th of November. They have another Christmas parade on the 2nd, the 9th, the 16th. All of them at 6 o'clock so people will be finished work and they can go into town and celebrate. Five of them, we, we can't even get, we can't even get one. Like, you know, you, even, you know, if you, the, even if you said, Neil, like, you didn't even have to go to the parade, the, the parade, the, you know, having a parade, like, you could just have the whole place set up that they're going to come on at a certain time and yeah. people are in and out of shops, having but, their cups of coffee, walking around and then the countdown and bang, it comes on. But for, year, no but for years we had a countdown and because and, I was was involved in it in two different radio stations um, you know Colm O'Sullivan used to switch the lights yeah. on when we were involved in it here in Red FM there'd be a countdown there's a big white switch they'd be up on a stage Santa Claus would be there the Lord Mary would be there there'd be a great great buzz and then there'd be the countdown there'd be music and Christmas songs playing and everybody would do 10, 9, 8, 7, 6 Ken Perrett did it when the other side had a chance to do it and we all shared it and then there'd be a countdown and a big huge cheer when the lights came on and a great big atmosphere and then people went home it was fabulous there was never any issue Shoes then, but if you're looking at other cities, right, and in Ireland and around the world, surely just instead of saying no, we're not doing it, go and look what other people do. Like they had you had twelve months to do it, and, and longer actually because of COVID, right? So like look at and plan it then just to say it's not just a no because of health and safety. Like if you think about it, right? Too late now this year anyway. Too late. It's too late. Yeah, yeah exactly. Late. But if, if you look at Oxford Street doing it, right, and no health and safety issues, and 
they're saying to us that they can't do it on Patrick Street because of health and safety issues. Figure out what Oxford Street did. Figure out what Killarney right. did, what Waterford did. Okay, you know? nice one. Yeah, okay. Might I even ask Killarney. Why don't we ask Killarney and Waterford how they did it and how they managed to do it? I mean, they're smaller cities, I know. Well, one of the things that isn't true anyway, uh, all on its own, is what the Lord Mayor was being told that it was all to do with just money. It's not to do with just money. Mind you, it's hard to divvy up. Um, it's hard to find how much money they div- divvied up for foreign trips overseas. Like, found an article, you know, there was a recent trip, trip that the Lord Mayor was on to China. Well, there was another one there back in 2009 when they all went off to Shanghai on a jolly to meet the people there. I don't know if anything came of it back then. Uh, the Lord Mayor at the time was Donald Cunahan. They spent €37,000 on that China trip. Um, and there was a breakdown of uh, where they went and how much it cost and all the different people that went. Uh, and then if you look at, say, the total amount on overseas trips in a three-year period uh, for Cork City Council between 15 and 18, they spent €83,000 uh, on overseas trips. This would be a combination of councillors and city officials. Mind you, county council weren't found wanting either. In October, they went to Boston to mark the 300 years of the Irish contribution to Boston. Uh, seven councillors went. 40 grand it cost them. And in March, then, the county council, their St. Patrick's Day trips to different cities around the uh, USA, three different trips, cost 33 grand. And in 2022, uh, in March of 2022, they went to three cities as well for St. Patrick's Day, the county councillors, and that cost us 47,000 euro. So they can be quite expensive, those trips certainly can. Anyway, text 0868104106. Oh, just interesting news coming in, actually. Just seeing it on the screens here in front of me that David Cameron is back um, on the front bench of the Conservative Party. Uh, He has been appointed Foreign Secretary. Uh, He was seen going into uh, Downing Street earlier on this morning and he wouldn't be going in there just for a cup of tea and a chat and a fag in the garden. Uh, He got the gig. Uh, So David Cameron uh, is back. I don't know, it won't make a blind bit of difference to us, but I said to pass it on all the same. Back to where the phone lines we go. Marie, good morning. Good morning, Ned. How are you? All right, so you've got a big switch on out. I suppose this would be out in the community park in Douglas, wouldn't it? Yes, correct. In the community park on the 3rd of December. Santa Claus uh, coming to town and everything? Oh, Santa Claus will be there. We'll have local school, St. Nicholas, there uh, releasing a song for Christmas. So they'll be performing on the day and their CDs will be on sale. Um, we'll also have Dylan Brickley. He'll oh, be great Lily star. And Courtney. Yeah. yeah, Lily and Courtney will do our music. We'll have food stalls, crafts. Dogs, games, singing, dancing, the lot, and the lights will come on at five o'clock. And the third of December, what day of the week is it? It's a Sunday. Oh, fabulous family day. Yeah, you see, there you go. That's the way to do it. We'll have carousels the whole lot. Something for young and old. Okay, so, so the place to come along and support. Place to be on December third. It's a Sunday. It's the Douglas Community Park. Well said. Thanks for that, Marie. We'll get back to more calls like that. You know, um, you know, bigging up all of the different local. Oh, there is an interesting local one happening because there's a community out in Ballincollig who are coming together to save Christmas. They've launched a big new festive fundraiser. It's a voluntary team uh, trying to save Christmas by getting money to make sure that the Christmas lights in Ballincollig are turned on. I wonder why they have to do that for themselves and it's not provided by the County Council. But anyway, Jim, good morning. Good morning, Neil. All right, so what's the deal, man? What do you think of this Christmas I, I light think, business? No, I, think, I, think to, I think to the bloody disgrace, I honestly do. Like, um, Ireland's second largest city and no Christmas lights. Like, they're saying it's cost-cutting and all that. Right? Yet to, yet to have plenty of money the police process that went on the city there over the last twelve months for, uh, uh, on various on various issues. Like yeah, they're different budget. They're different budgets, though. Just to be fair and accurate. 
policing budget. The money, the money is found from interest. I don't think it's. I don't it. think it's about the money. It's about the same thing it's been for the last couple of years, and they they got a bit of a fright in 2019 because for some reason they put up metal barriers, which can be dangerous in themselves. This is this. This is pointing back to one, 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 one party, the Green Party. They don't, they don't want energy being burnt that's, that, that, that doesn't need to be burnt. I, I, I'm fully convinced of this. Like, Jesus, Come on, uh, man. The lights are going to be turned on anyway. It's just that they don't want people in to watch them being turned on by Santa Claus. Look. Come here. <laughs> like, we, can, we can be talking about this all day. But Ireland City is the second biggest city and 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 not to have a spectator like this, like this 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 would be public. This would be beautiful. So it would be seen from nearly all over the world. Like, what are the council thinking? Like, Jesus is like, look at the increases these fellas have given themselves with the last twelve months in wages and for this and for that. Like, and, and yet they want this a low key affair. You know what I mean? What's the it's deal? With, what's the deal with Waterford? Waterford City. The, the more the more that will turn up. The more are welcome. Yeah, yeah. And there's never an issue of safety, uh, health and safety, never. It's actually, it's a carnival down there. The lights, with the turning on and the lights down there, it turns into a carnival. The kids, uh, it's a spectacular. And Jesus almighty, you, you, you can't do it in Cork. You know what I mean? Where, where, the, scene, where the scenery is, is, is just as good, if not better, especially along, along the... Do you think a time will come when we won't be the second city anymore? That we'll be surpassed by your Galways or your Waterford or perhaps your Limits? But should you... The, 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 fella, the fellas that, that's down in City Hall, if they had their way, like, to be a dungeon... Like, like they they print the money to go in and, and, and install electric trees. For, was it three or four hundred thousand? I heard you say there last week. Four to buy them, and then eighteen grand a year. Oh, sorry, three hundred and fifty yeah. odd to buy them, and since then it's cost four hundred and four just to keep them on. And science is after coming up with the, with the, with the, with the report saying it means no different. What? No, no, I know, I know that. Yeah, I know that. It's a disgrace. What a waste of money! And like. Jesus on my dear, what, what, how much are they talking about for the, the turn on Christmas lights? Hundred thousand? Uh, well, I mean, I don't buy, I don't buy that. I'd be suggesting somewhere in twenty, thirty grand. Let me talk to Melissa if you don't mind, Jim, because I'm under pressure. I've got four minutes this side of eleven, um, and she may have some um, words of uh, wisdom with regards to Killarney and how they do things. Melissa, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are okay, you so I know you're from the city, but you're living in Bandon, and you were at. A, do you know you know a lot about how Killarney do their business? Is it? Yeah, I suppose going back to 2019, I was in that year. I bought my little four year old. In Cork City for the Patrick Street switch. In Cork City. Right. For the Patrick Street um, switch on. But they had a lot of side streets closed. It took forever to be able to get back to the car, and there was crowds everywhere, and it was really badly managed. Why do you think they closed off all of the access streets? I just don't think they want, because they're badly lit up, I didn't think they wanted hundreds of thousands of people having access to like Winstraff Street and the small little side streets to get down onto Oliver Plunkett Street which made no sense to us But like, aren't they aren't those streets really like aren't really aren't they like emergency exits Exactly that was our point we needed to get out because at that point a crush started happening um, <gasps> just really? outside the modern people really? were just trying to get out and it started raining and people were like as soon as the lights went off people wanted to get back to their cars they wanted to go to McDonald's the little bit like and but the barriers out, were we still there when it was all over the barriers were up and the security were awful they were really unhealthy we were like which street is open they said oh I don't know so we ended up having to call these off the Grand Prix and down set miles to get to our car 
And I was like, if they had just opened Winchrock Street, it would have just alleviated all of the crowds off. And so if there, if there was no barriers, like, it would have mean that people wouldn't have got crushed. They didn't get crushed, no, but there were people, people who were frightened. just been able to come and, come and go. You like. just leave. So we, yeah. So we got really turned off, but then I said, I'm not going in again. And unfortunately, COVID happened or whatever. But then we found out about parades and clearly. And we've gone every year. Sometimes um, we go twice. We go down, we make a big deal of it, we do our shopping. Now, they have barriers up, but they only go up just before the parade starts. So you can still cross the main road and whatever. They have it like really well advertised which street is going to be closed, which route the parade is going to take. So you can go to loads of different spots all over Canada to watch it. Because it's a parade, it's a moving festival, it's a, it's a moving spectacle. They, yeah, like it starts at six and it's always bang on the dot at six. Um, even for the 20 minutes before us, before that, they have loads of performers going up and down the street, they're handing out seats to the kids. Like what kind so, like, of performers? Like a Christmassy. Elves oh, and Santa Claus, and, and then they have like Disney stuff, uh, Fireman Sam, the Disney performers, and then a few people doing tricks and stuff. The princesses are all there, so like you get to go up and you can get photos, and they might do a sing song. I'm sure it's very interactive for the kids; they don't get bored. So uh, we can drink a hot chocolate or a coffee, whatever it is, while we're waiting. The parade is 25 minutes long. And even at that, you can still walk with the parade. So, like, if you want to get back to your car, you can be like, oh, let's walk this way. So that the kids are still entertained. You're not driving That's right. the kids That's with right. you. Like. Yeah. And then when it's um, all over, you're off to McDonald's or you're down to Scoozies or into your you favourite pizza you or whatever you but want. Like, yeah. It's so well run. The traffic flows straight away afterwards. And, like, we'd normally stay overnight there. But, like, last year, you know, we chance just driving home and it was actually so straightforward you know I was like actually you'd make learning better than you would make the city especially when how long it took us that night to get out so like we're planning going down yeah yeah. Yeah, we're planning going down twice this year so we'll be there on the 25th of November and then just before Christmas we'll make our way down now especially with the McCurran bypass I was like, we'll be down there in no time. I know, it's fully open now. Good points. Melissa, thank you so much. But listen, no, uh, we, got, we, got to, we got to do something going forward because this isn't tolerable. You know, we really need to be able to punch uh, at least at our weight or indeed above our weight, particularly at key times of the year, like Christmas time. It's a shambles. The mayor confirmed to you that he attended with five other officials on a junket to China and said it to you on the air last week. What did that cost? Uh, we try to find that out, but it's too early. They don't have the full total. His buddies and city council will have no issue with the China trip, I suppose. Thousands squandered while they make sh- while, they, while they have makeshift trees on the city streets. Uh, another one or two here involving that. Like all decisions made by the council, stupid. Thank God there's an election on the way. So we'll come back to that. There are other texts on different topics as well. Um, yeah, I see other people texting earlier this morning about whatever was going on out in Glen, out in Ballyvalan at the weekend. I did see the video of it um, and I could I could hear the, the gunshots in the video. There was at least three shots, might have been four, but I definitely heard three shots were being fired on the video, whoever recorded it. These are, we were told there was a number of shots fired at a house in Glenfields Park in Ballyvalan last evening. I'm not really at liberty to say much more about it as to why people would be shooting out or why there'd be two people shooting at each other. Why, well, not 
two different people shooting it, but uh, some sort of a disagreement or a feud going on. Gardaí received a report of an incident, though they said, about the discharge of a firearm at a residential premises in Ballyvalan in the early hours of Sunday, the 12th of November, just gone. So this will be Saturday night into Sunday morning. No injuries have been reported. Investigations are ongoing. Um, like that kind of carry-on, unfortunately, is ongoing. It seems to go from bad to worse. Now... Show. Red FM. I'll get back to phone calls in a few minutes' time. Do you remember earlier this morning, I was talking about looking at the newspapers, the story that I found uh, online at the weekend had to do with the woman and her partner who ate three quarters of their food in a very popular, very, very high hygiene standard gastro pub in the UK. Then she pulled out some black hairs from her head and she placed them strategically on the plates. Then she made a complaint that there was hair in their food and after that, uh, they got the food compliment. Uh, they got the food comped. They uh, get to, didn't have to pay for it and off they went. But then the owner, Tom Croft, who gave them back the money for the plate of food, it was a it was a roast beef dinner fine looking dinner actually because they also showed photographs of the full dinner and a fine looking spread he went and he checked the CCTV footage uh, to ensure that his staff's hair was tied back and it was and he checked the kitchen footage and then he decided I'll check the restaurant footage and he checked the footage and there's Mrs. Woman sitting at the table pulling out her hair and putting it into the food he's absolutely livid about it of course they're long gone at that stage Um, but you know what that would damage a business's reputation because there'd be few enough people who want to visit a restaurant like that if it was genuinely the food uh, that the hair of a staff member in the food may be in the preparation of the food in the kitchen and it wasn't so it does an awful injustice um, I'd be interested to hear from other people in hospitality with the kind of things that people complain about here's a couple of examples Neil this is from this morning putting hair in food happens more often than you think you know or say lifting tiny stones in the car park and saying that, you found, that they found it in the sauce of their food or we once had somebody who claimed that a piece of wire scrubber was in their dinner but when you asked for the piece it was nowhere to be found all of it of course is to get away without paying don't get me wrong there are genuine cases where things happen and go wrong in a restaurant but you usually know the genuine cases um uh, you know, like sometimes it can be a salad you might find a, find a bug in the salad where maybe the iceberg or the lettuce mightn't have been washed properly I'm okay with all of that. I take it out and I just get on with eating the dinner or eating the salad. Not everybody's like that. Neil, 95% of people are great, but there'll always be an element that do try it on and others are always just going to complain. Complain. God only knows. You can almost tell by the attitude when they walk through the door, don't you, that they're complainers. That no matter what you do, they're going to find something wrong. Another one. A bit of a funny story. I had a whole trout and a darn of swordfish on the menu one time. A whole trout and a darn, which is a fillet of swordfish on the menu one time. A lady phoned the hotel the next day to complain that she was given a whole swordfish instead of the whole trout. Ah. We tried explaining to the woman that the smallest whole swordfish was about 200 pounds in weight. Nah, there was no getting through to her. Or what about people sending back smoked salmon and complaining that it wasn't cooked and they wonder why chefs drink... Why chefs drink... (laughs) 
says Desi. Thank you for that. I mean, she said that she was given a whole hoard swordfish. Can you imagine the side of the plate and the amount of people that would have to carry the entire swordfish out to the table? But when I was reading that story last night, uh, I then just Googled, you know the way you do, just Googled uh, an article on the 20 most common restaurant complaints and how to respond to them. I'm not going to bother with how to respond to them. I was just curious as to what do people complain about most? Slow service, right? That's It's not the food. It's not things in the food. It, the, ne- the main one is slow service. Followed by cold food or undercooked food, right? So slow service, cold or undercooked food, poor quality of food, incorrect orders, getting something that you didn't order or getting something that was mixed up in the order. You know, I mean, I would hate to be working in catering or hospitality now where people are saying, I don't want this and would you substitute this and I don't like that and I'm intolerant to this and I want all these different changes made. So we have slow service, cold food, undercooked food, poor quality food, incorrect orders, unsanitary conditions like sitting at a table that's dirty or picking up a fork or a knife that's dirty, or going into the bathrooms that are dirty. Noise levels. People complain that it's too loud or there's too much noise. And then there's other ones then, pricing and stuff like that. Or uh, bad staff, you know, really just staff that couldn't give a damn. Um, You know, uh, inattentive, um, stuff like that. What else have they come up with? Um, You know, smaller ones, but they're the main ones. Um... Yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. There's another one that's quite interesting that's going up the ranks, and it's allergen cross contamination of food, which would be the cross contamination of allergens that then made families or family members sick. So we did put that up online, and we got some great comments on it. As to we were wondering, have you worked in hospitality? What's the stupidest or most ridiculous complaints you've ever heard or seen? Leanne says a customer sent back her fish cakes because they were too fishy. Ah, uh, come here. I'd need a drum roll for something like that, wouldn't I? My fish cakes are too fishy. Usually you'd be complaining that there's only potato in it and there's no fish. Jane says, I had a customer send back a Hendrix gin and tonic. She was complaining that it wasn't Hendrix. It was. I gave her a new one anyway, and she looked at it and said, it still wasn't Hendrix. I asked her, how do you know by looking at it? Because you haven't tasted it. And she says... I know it's not Hendrix because there's no cucumber in it. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red <laughs> FM. I'm still laughing through the ad break. Please keep these coming, will you? And keep checking on Facebook to see if they're updated. Uh, people working in hospitality are sharing with me customers' complaints. And they're just, oh man, they make, I mean, they're funny. But to be working in hospitality, you really should be canonized. I now work, I worked in a now closed restaurant in town a few years back and a woman tried the same on me I caught her hang on a second I caught her on camera doing it a hair in the food to safe to say to her and her family that they left extremely embarrassed and paid the fo- bill in full when I threatened her and the table with the guardie you had the CCTV to prove it and of course bring in the Garda Shikana yeah they left embarrassed and I say they left quickly thank you Daniel Joe out in Joe's hair salon I've had a complaint I don't know how many that their hair is growing too fast and is there anything that the hairdresser could do about it to slow down hair growth my god there's people crying out for hair growth I might chat with Joe actually because I'm curious as to know how I'd love to know in a hair salon right how it works like if if you're if you're a hairdresser um, and you can tell by their face that they don't like 
the job you've done, whatever it might be, the wash, cut and blow dry or the perm or whatever it might be, or the colour change. You can tell that they're like, but they don't say anything. You say, are you happy with that? And say, yeah, oh yeah, it's, oh, it's lovely, it's lovely, it's lovely. And they say nothing, right? But then they go out and they tell everyone and anyone about the hair salon that destroyed their hair. I mentioned that is probably something that goes on a lot. Imelda says, customer, her panini gently slid off the round plate. It was barely hanging off the side of the round plate and it touched the clean table when I put it down before her. She demanded that I change her entire panini and salad and chips, replace everything. We just put it on a square plate and served it back to her. <laughs> good for you. Uh, well, I bet you the people out there will give out to me for saying good for you. That, 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 oh, that really now, really now, they should have replaced everything. It did touch the table. Uh, Andrea says, complaining about how bad the food was, but yet they left empty plates. Cleared the plate and then whinged that the food was bad. Another one is that the plates were cold or the plates weren't warm enough. Would you think that actually the item on a menu that people complain about the most would be probably a steak maybe and how it's cooked? Do you think maybe it might be a steak? Anyway, text 0868104106. Rowena says, we had someone send back a chicken curry because it had coriander garnishing it. And apparently the woman was highly allergic to coriander. Seemed shocked when the waiter went out and informed her that she would have to order something else as that one of the ingredients in pretty much every curry that you will ever eat is coriander and the chef didn't want to be responsible for having a severe allergic reaction to it I can tell you she wasn't happy but I couldn't risk having her having a serious reaction as she had put it to the waiter when she sent the meal back also had a customer complain that the ice cream was too cold oh and my favourite one Neil says Rowena is lamb, pork or pig I'll never ever forget it Uh, Kenneth said, I've heard parents tell their kids in McDonald's to throw what's left of their fries on the ground so that they can replace the whole lot. Don't know how you get away with that one, but what you might get away with, though, and people might do and genuinely do, is that the fries are cold. But you would need to bring all of the fries back up and say, listen, but with any chance I get, you know, fresh, hot chips. But no point going up with only a few fries left in 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 the end of the cart and saying, my fries were cold. Camille say, Camille say, or sorry, Camille A says, gluten-free client once, asked for a gluten-free pasta. Uh, no problem for them. Complained that they felt super sick after eating it. Checked with the chef that it was definitely gluten-free pasta. Only after that, they realised that there were six pints of Guinness downed also with the pasta. Yeah, they say that it's not, you know, it's not the... Um, you know, the first bottle of wine that gives you the shock and hangover in the morning. It's the second one. Bridget said, I had a customer give out to me before because I didn't have the pants, the trousers that she liked in the next size up. By the way, I was working in a charity shop. <laughs> Victoria says, we had a lady who ordered gin with one of the bartenders saying it was the wrong drink. We changed the drink, I did it myself, and she still claimed that it wasn't gin. I opened a brand new bottle of gin in front of her, and her answer was, it's weird tasting gin anyway. One or two more. Terry says, customer sent back a chicken and bacon burger because she was vegetarian. (laughs) Why did she order it in the first place? Where did you think chicken and bacon came from? Patricia says, Once heard a story of a friend that a customer told them that they hated the sandwich they ordered and demanded a full refund and to speak to the manager. But the plate in front of them was empty. They ate the entire sandwich. Yet, yet... 
they were given the full refund by the manager. I suppose they just couldn't be bothered arguing the toss. Do you ever see the ones then that asked for the chef? I mean, that's mortifyingly embarrassing. Oh, have you ever been in company with some- I have. Have you ever been in company with somebody who asked to see the chef? I just felt like sliding off the chair under the table and I'd cr- try and crawl out the front door and go away. Anyway, there's loads more of them. Keep them coming. Text 0868104106. I'll come back to all of the business in a minute. But here he is, the man himself, Joe from Joe's Hair Salon, getting ready for the Christmas. But just ahead of customers and what have you. Joe, good morning. Good morning, Neil, my friend. How are you? I'm good. Did you hear many of those? These are from hospitality. They're crackers. Have you any like that? I have a, I have one or two now, Neil, but like I have a few that I couldn't even mention, but I have one now that my hair... Ah, you can. It's an adult show. All the kids are in school. You're grand. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. We've got me started now, Neil, and you know yourself, because I want to talk to you one time about my new invention and, and for you to, to, to uh, invest with me, but you didn't ring me, so we'll talk about that another time. What is anyway, it? What is it? Does it cure baldness? No, no, I'll that. invest. <laughs> right, so you, we'd make a fortune. Um... One of my one of my best ones is my hair is after growing too fast, <laughs> as if it was my fault. Because you know, my haircut would be every six to seven weeks, every six weeks normally for cut. Add a little we- time, add a little weed killer to your shampoo, maybe. Yeah, or if a client gets a colour, then they have a regrowth. Look at my regrowth, which is if it was my fault, the hair is after growing a inch. You wouldn't tolerate any of that old yeah. claptrap, though. Well, one of my best ones, Neil, years and years ago, is that, and this is going back a long time now, I showed someone the back of the air, delighted with myself. I said, well, what do you think of that now? Just say Mary, it wasn't Mary, but whatever her name was. I think it was lovely. No, I don't like it. Oh, my God, like the back, the, the mirror in my hand was still frozen. I was frozen to the ground. But she doesn't, sorry, no, sorry, no, you're a hair, you're a hairstylist. She doesn't like it. That's her. She was white. She was dead white, but I was delighted with myself. I first saw the back. Oh, delighted with myself. What do you think of that now? No, no, I don't like it. Why do you do in a case like that? Well, first of all, you're freezing and say, well, I think it's lovely because it really suits your face. You know what I mean? But I still don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Is she so? Is she looking for? A discount or a free... No, she was being genuine because I'd say, oh, look, I won't charge this order. Oh, no, no, I'm not saying that. She said, I just don't like it. It's, it's not what I want. <laughs> and she said, I was... I was um, Insulting I was your... mortified and she's easy now to get... I can normally talk myself. Would you call all the other stylists around and say, come over here and tell me what you think of this? No, I'd go over to Richmond. Tell her it's lovely. What's it that really suits her? It brings out your eyes. <laughs> what about the ones that you know they don't like it, but they tell you, oh no, it's lovely, oh no, no, it's lovely. And then they go out and they tell everyone and anyone that they were destroyed inside in the salon. Would that ever happen? Yeah, they might. you might get the ones now, and again, very rarely, you might get one or two, he capped my hair. He what? Capped it. Capped it? Yeah. What's that? Where like it's, it's cut crooked? Like is it? Chopped it up and and it was an uneven course or something, and you could get a ruler and measure it and it could be perfect. You know what I mean? Can you tell people that you just can't please the minute they walk in the door? Would you have that kind yeah. of sixth sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, some people come in now. If it was a new client, and they'd look at the place first. They'd look around and then they'd look at me, and they'd be sizing the whole thing up, and you'd be thinking to yourself. Do you know now she's going to be more trouble than she's worked? <laughs> and then you'd have the real beautiful ones that I have. See, I can say this because I have all my regulars that would never leave Joseph's and I love them to bits. And they're brilliant. And, you know, I could give them a blade one and they'd love it. 
But there is one now will come in and they say, oh, t- you know, on the radio, I was expecting something different. <laughs> I heard you on the radio, I was expecting yeah, something I was expecting different. something different. I don't know what you expect, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's great, but deal with the public needs. Here's one, here's one here for you. Ma- Macy says, worked in a, in a restaurant cafe once and the customer complained because there was a hole in the bagel. <laughs> oh, for God's sake, yeah. Oh my God! Our, our, you know, um, over to think is another thing. But I, I, you know, if if I would know a client as well, I'm very cute when it comes to things. I'd know now if a client was, say, if she was pregnant by washing her hair. How? Yeah. How? Because she told yeah, you, or because you buy our girl? If 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 I was if I was shampooing a pregnant lady, right? And I know it was going to be a boy or it was going to be a girl. Come on, I want to know how. Because the shampoo, if the boy turns blue and the girl it turns pink. Ah, go away, you're winding me up, you flute. <laughs> Give me a break. Sarah says she once had a customer complain because they sent back ice cream cake because it was a frozen ice cream cake and she wanted it fresh. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm 38 years, 39 years as now, and oh my God, you do stories you could tell, you know what I mean? And you should have written them down really years ago. It's even like old sayings, and, and go mad I didn't take kind of little diary. Colour would be dodgy, wouldn't it, though, Joe? Giving somebody colour would be dodgy. Oh, yeah, sure, we're a big colour, Sal, and colour is very, very important. But that could, go, that could, that could easily, go, easily go wrong. Do you know one of the best things, Neil, is if someone comes in and you want to be black, right? You mean their hair? And it doesn't suit, you know. And I'd be thinking, you know, you can't have black because it doesn't suit your face. You need to really go lighter, lighter hair to, to lighten your skin tone. You know what I mean? Oh, they want that, they want it totally yeah, dyed black. I was always black, and my husband only knows me as black. But kind of thinking, does he see any other part of your body? Because surely God, all that isn't black. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh no, I knew we'd get down to that level sooner or later. Well, you said it was an adult show, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I walked into that one. Neil, <laughs> will you get me on next week when I'm chat about the the door is open. You tell me when you're ready to go for the big. What what yeah, is the event? When next week? Because I need to. I, I'll have a chat with you. If that's okay. With what are the, what are the dates? We're having it on the third of December. Where? In Flannery's. Same thing. All right. And okay. the, the haircuts of Joseph's and the mighty crack, and that's what we'll be, I'll have a chat with you about. Okay, so doors open. You come back to me, and we'll drive it on when you're ready. All right. I appreciate Neil. Thank you very much. I'm very disappointed. I'm having no luck at all trying to help out the Cork City Children Hospitals charity, who will be doing uh, Santa Claus down in Parky Cueve, and they were looking for a bit of a dig out. I've used all of my contacts, and I'm striking out completely trying to source some Christmas trees for them, for some rope lighting to go around Santi's Grotto. If there's anybody out there would like to help, because they work under a very, very serious constraints with regards to a budget, but there'll be many, many sick children, and some of them, when I say sick, very sick children, will be visiting Santa Claus down at Parky Cueve in the next couple of weeks, uh, and we want to make it as best as we possibly can. I'm going to ask uh, John Looney if he can give me a cost as to what's involved, and maybe we could do a whip round in typical Cork fashion. Because even though I've been reaching out to companies, I'm having no luck whatsoever. I'm quite surprised, actually. We do need Christmas trees, and we need all of the decorations for the Christmas trees, and we need some rope lighting, and that would make all the difference to sick children. If you think anybody might be able to help, would you get in touch with me? Text 0868104106. Back to the phone lines, we go, Jackie, good morning. Good morning. Okay, we're talking about the things we've had great success so far with the crazy stories that customers complain about. What have you got? 
many years ago, I worked in a hotel bar and uh, an elderly gentleman came in and ordered whiskey and ice, but he wanted real ice, none of that frozen stuff. So where, where do you get the real ice? Well, I just gave him whiskey and water and he didn't say anything, so... None of I that. He was <laughs> none of that frozen stuff. Like, what does he yeah, think? What does he think? Is, like, anyway, maybe he needs you to go out the back and chip it off an iceberg or a glacier or something. <laughs> I wasn't being paid enough for that. <laughs> Do people also? Would you find them maybe second guessing or complaining that it was the wrong whiskey or it was the wrong oh, gin or it wasn't yeah, Guinness yeah. or it wasn't Murphy's? Well, not necessarily with the the stout or the beer but with the the shorts yeah we would have had a few complaints or people thinking they knew better when they they clearly didn't but um definitely the, the and would they would they be complaining after they'd have already had a few oh yeah yeah and especially you know sometimes they'd be trying to impress their friends you know with their their expensive palette Oh, isn't that must be very? Isn't that very annoying when people are showing off and you're trying to do your job? It is very annoying, but it's also very satisfying, you know, proving them wrong. <laughs> One final question before I let you go: What about the ones that ask to taste the bottle of wine before you pour it, and then they say, "No, I don't like it." Have you ever had that? No, thankfully, I never had to yeah. go with. Yeah, because you have no. As a staff member, you have no answer to that. You just have to take the bottle away, don't you? Yeah, basically. Um, yeah, thankfully, I, I never had to deal with that because I'm not sure I would have been able to take someone seriously. You know, if they were putting their nose into the glass and swirling and sniffing. And but they do. <laughs> roll, people, ra- roll around with their mouth. Yeah, showing off, I suppose, a lot of the time. Well, that's it with their, you know, what what they think is their expensive polish but yeah, um yeah yeah I, 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 I had a friend of mine he's long dead now the more misfortune he's a lovely guy but he 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 loved his wine right and he 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 would have claimed to have had a very 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 good knowledge of wine and could tell you the side of the road the different wines came from in france and all this kind of thing a really really clued in palate and i never disagree with that he was a lot of fun but i remember one time uh, being in a, in a restaurant this is years and years ago where they ran out of the white wine that he liked i think they ran out of let's let's say it was a a Chablis that he was drinking, right? And it was an expensive one and he was having, the group were having bottle after bottle after bottle. And he would be very particular about his wines and they ran out of Chablis and there was panic then when he ordered another bottle of Chablis and it wasn't there. Now this guy would drop big money now, right, Jackie? He'd spend huge <laughs> amounts of money. So the owner of the restaurant, rather than go back and disappoint him, there'd be a blow up and a row or lose his custom, got a bottle, I think it was Sauvignon Blanc, took away the empty... <laughs> Took, took away the empty Chablis bottle, brought it into the back and decanted the Sauvignon Blanc into the Chablis. Got the, kind of got the cork back in and started messing at the table with him, pretending to be un- uncorking it. Boop. Served it. Never knew the difference. Never knew the difference. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. And you know what? It's, it's experiences like that that are extremely satisfying for staff. <laughs> well said. <laughs> Thanks for that. Take care, Jackie. Take care, Joe. I had a complaint on a carvery that the side of my hand with gloves on touched the cooked ham when I was holding her plate. She was vegetarian and she was said she would never eat any meat. I forgot to tell her that her cab... 
I forgot to tell her that her cabbage was cooked in bacon water. Cork's biggest conversation is here. The Neil Brenderville Show is on Cork's Red FM. Talking about customers, there's some funny ones as well. He won't, he won't mind me playing this, but Kieran Barry, who has Living Dreams down in Little Island, sent me a little clip, actually. It's a video clip of uh, a beautiful suite of furniture. It's like a, yeah, a beautiful, comfy, long three-seater and a couple of side-seaters with it. It's gorgeous. Um, and he, he posts... This is a, so you, I'm playing this now, but you must imagine this is a video clip um, and he's filming the beautiful sofa over and back, right? And this is, this is the audio that goes with it. I was explaining earlier to a lady that this couch can be made bigger to accommodate at least five or six people with no problems. She turned around and said, where am I going to find five or six people with no problems? <laughs> There's just legend stuff. It really is brilliant. <laughs> John, good morning. How are you doing, Ted? All right, my son. So you're a, you were delivering what? Live fish. Live. Aquarium. I.e. on right a box, right? And I won't say where I know it, but it was in the back of the ends, right? And it was lashing rain. Live fish in a box, and it was lashing rain. And the woman came out the door when I when I had the box, and she goes, "My fish are getting all wet." Right? I, I, I turned around to her and I said, it's a bit of a blonde moment, is it? Like, I don't get that. They were, they were going into an outdoor pond, were they? It was going into an outdoor fucking pond. They delivered their things to you know Pardon the French, they were going into water anyway. Yeah, she goes, my fish are getting all wet. And I went, a bit of a blonde moment there, girl, is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh man cheers thanks to that customers where would you be going with them take care worked in Ryanair out of Cork a few years ago coming back from Lanzarote we ran out of Pringles <laughs> Ryanair forever running out of Pringles ran out of Pringles when we were when we went out with the bar the second time you know I had two runs up and down I was asked did you get any more Pringles in the meantime <laughs> to which I said no Musgraves don't deliver up here <laughs> Another one. I have an online business called The Elephant in the Room. I sell cards and suitable uh, and suitable stuff for gifts for people going through illness like cancer, mental health, etc. You know yourself, The Elephant in the Room. Anyway, I had a very irate customer message me to say that she was very disappointed to find my website only to see no elephants for sale. <laughs> That's kind of You kind you kind of have understand you know, why somebody might be upset if the name of the business is called Elephant in the Room and they want to buy a, an elephant for the room. But anyway, do keep them coming. Text 0868104106 because customers, yeah, you can't live with them and you can't live without them half the time. Now, we, we may have some great news and see if we can, because it wasn't for the want of trying, but we'll say no more of that. John Looney from Cork City Children's Hospital was looking for 10 seven-foot Christmas trees, a bench for Santi's room for the parents to sit on with the little kids, and baubles and decorations for the trees, and also for some rope lighting uh, to go around the Santa Grotta. Grotto, I think in total we were talking about maybe around about €1,000. I thought that I could get it from different companies that maybe would be selling it at the Christmas time, but I was having absolutely no luck. So the next thing I was going to do is I was going to see if we could do a whip around, come up with the money, and buy everything that's needed for it. So John joins me again. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? What's the date? About a thousand euro, I think, is what's needed to make all the difference here. What are the dates again for the event down in Parky Cueve? They're on the 29th and 30th of November. 
Right, 29th and 30th. And how many kids, how many kids that, um, you know, are going, they're going through a tough time, aren't they, to see the, say the least, John? Oh, God, yes. There'll be approximately 220 children over a two-day period. And um, like we said previously, like some of these children know, like, they haven't been to see Santa Claus, unfortunately, even since pre-COVID, you know, because these are the kids that were kind of stuck in, you know, for just three years and everything else, you know. So and what, what we do then, we yeah. kind of bring them, you know, on a special visit to Santa Claus, you know, private and everything else, you know. And, and from what kind of settings would they be coming from? A lot of them would, would be in hospital, wouldn't they? That's correct. Like, 90% of them has been in hospital, Neil. And some of them then, like, like we'd have, uh, I think it's 36 uh, deaf children. We'd have, um, you know, physical and sexual abuse children. Yeah. We'd have uh, road traffic accidents. And we'd have a uh, kind of a uh, children we call siblings. Like, basically siblings, like they may have lost their mother or father tragically in the last two or three years, unfortunately, you know. And that kind of stuff. Okay, so. so they would be psychologically damaged because of the loss of a parent, obviously, and they'd be mourning. So the 29th and the 30th mm-hmm, that's of correct. November. So the clock is ticking on that one. We're at the 13th now. I think I might have good news for you, John. Okay. I think I might have some very good news for you because Charles Glavin, no stranger to this parish, I can tell you, has helped out in the past from Blarney Window Systems. Charles, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Good morning, John. How can you help, morning, uh, How can you help... Uh, I didn't actually hear the problem. I only just jumped into one of my vans. They were going to the apartment and I just heard actually what you were saying earlier. You couldn't get stuff and you were looking for maybe set up an appeal. Uh, so I rang your um, reception there and I said, look, I'll offer 500 euro. If it's any help to you, I can give you a voucher for Hanley's or wherever. Um, so what I'm going to do, actually, I didn't realise I told you, I looked for any windows. Well, I suppose me or my, my wife's will probably have to open it. Uh, I donate a thousand euro um, to get the kids Christmas tree. You didn't, just, you didn't just say there you'd open your wife's purse for a digit, the line broke up. Well, listen, <laughs> well, every time I offer my wife think for it to go shopping, she ends up taking a thousand anyway. She's so. dead right by you, plenty of it. You're selling good stuff well, look, out there. Um, <laughs> if John wants to call to my office, I can start that over in my day or tomorrow. Uh, obviously, if it's the date is on a 20 he's anxious to get stuff done um, and I can sort that and yeah, listen as long as the kids have a good day out I'm happy to help and these kids need a good day out they do Charles they it, do big time it seems like it is shocking yeah, oh my shocking. god how about that that's a good start John it, Looney a thousand euro from Blarney Windows what you say Charles I said I'm a bit disappointed with uh, if you contacted other people in that they didn't because car people generally are, like I do a lot of work with Katrina and Penny Dinners yeah. and I must say if I ask for anything I always you know always receive a bit well I, d- I didn't actually make any huge appeal on air we just quietly made some calls okay. some said no some said, some didn't come back to us we just didn't get responses and it was kind yeah, of we, weary we might get somebody else, we might get somebody out there to throw a couple of hundred quid and maybe get them some individual presents would well. you just hold on one second there because I got Adrian Conlon on another phone line Adrian good morning Hi Neil, how are you? Good, my man. What is it that you do? Uh, we recycle clothes there. We have the shops in Blackpool and we have the clothes banks as well. We know John a long time there. We really appreciate working. Oh, Euro for clothes uh, in Blackpool. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, we'd like to donate a thousand there as well towards this. Oh my God, in the space of like less than two minutes, yeah. we're two grand up. What do you think of that, John Looney? Jeez, that's unbelievable. Fantastic all together, Jesus. Okay, let's see. Let's see if there's anybody else wants to get involved between now and midday. Listen, Adrian, you are a gentleman. You really and truly are. You're going to yeah, make it. No matter. You're going to make, and happens. you too, and Charles, you're going to make an awful lot of young children very, very happy. 
You really are. Listen, you're more than, you're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. That is And incredible. just a little shout-out as well for Penny Dinners, Blarney Windows. do a food collection every year for Blarney Windows, for Katrina and Penny Dinners. And we're just doing our first run. So if anyone, just keep keep, keep the people caught in mind that just don't have. Um, so, look, it's this time of the year that we probably get too busy shopping and too busy in our own lives. To think about Wonderful it. gesture from you. Thank you. Okay, so Adrian Conlon at Europe for close. To, I'll give my number to John there and he can meet up with me today or tomorrow. Whenever, you bet. Don't you I worry. I certainly will. Thanks a lot, Charles. Good luck to you all at Blarney Windows Systems, particularly your good wife. Nicole, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, have you got a wedding entertainment business? What's it called? It's called Ace Entertainment Cork. Oh, I know that company. How's business going? Yeah, you do. Really well, really, really well. We're very, very lucky. Okay, you have two kids and one on the way, I believe. That's correct, yeah. All looking forward to Santi. Have you have you a little contribution for John Looney and the uh, Cork City Children's Hospital Club? I have this 200 euro there if they want to get a Christmas tree or a few decorations or something. Every little helps. Every little helps. Nicole, that's hard-earned money. I really do appreciate it, and I know John does too. Isn't that right, John? That's 100% need. And Neil, can I just say something there now too? That any money that we ever receive, 100% goes back to the children. We're totally 100% fatted to your organisation and there's no funds whatsoever taken over. No, and every part of that funding goes also to send the children to Euro Disney every single year. Loads and loads of them. So it's hard work and every penny counts. Nicole, thank you so much. You're very kind. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Well done. It's a little early to be saying, yeah. Can I just say one thing too since the appeal went out? Yeah. I'd just like to say, I'd like to thank Enchanting Events, Joan there. She rang us to say she'll come along and do up Santa's Grotto for us, okay? Um, Dwyer's Electrical and the Airport Road they came along and they said they supplied the 40 lights and the four rolls of strobe lighting for us but and then why don't you buy everything from Dwyer's then get all of the trees and yes, all of the ro- yes, get, just get, get the yes, money yes, and yes. buy everything now in Dwyer's yeah that, that's a great idea and Domino's Pizzas came on board for us to say that they'll feed the children for the two days with pizzas. Which oh, is my God. Yeah, because you were looking yeah. for pizza on the air. I also have yeah. to tell you, I don't have the info here in front of me, but somebody mm. with a really good food truck was willing to set up the food truck down there as well outside Parky Creep. That might be a bit of fun. If their parents there, you know, don't turn yeah, it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. But it's just that we have to be very careful, Neil, with the, the food that we give. All right, pal, I, I, I get it. You know, it's right. just one of those things. So. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, so Dwyer's are in for some. We've got about, well, already €2,200, and I'm quite sure that others will want to give another few bob between now and midday. You really will make a huge difference with that amount of money, won't you? Well, it's fantastic. I mean, like, every child that comes on board, like, like Santa Claus comes all the way, known in our pool, like, and we come to an agreement, like, that we, we, we do give them a decent present from Santa, you know? And, like, when Mrs. Claus comes as well, like, she also makes sure that they get little gifts. And even Parky Keith this year, now, through Ian Flynn and the staff in Parky Keith, you know, they, they've just been fantastic to us. And I know that they have a little present as well for each child, you know, from Parky Keith. I don't know okay. what it is yet or anything, but, okay. you know, it's just that the people of Cork are just getting together again, and it's just fantastic. Even well, the Cork City Fire Service, the airport police, the Garda Traffic Corps, National Animal Service, they're on board with us again, you know, it's just... You know, it's fantastic getting it going again, you it's know. The, so. it's, it's actually the Wednesday and the Thursday, so it would be lovely if I sent one of the gang from this programme down there on one of those mornings. Would that be OK? Neil, what, what would be fantastic, even the, the Red Patrols, if you want to send them out to Nemo Rangers that morning and come along with us for the guard escort and everything. 
through Partick Street and into Park in, down to Parky Keeve. And then we could talk to you live. What I will do in that regard is I will check with regards to the dates and the availability on that day. That wouldn't be my call, but I'll talk to the people. Listen, if they're free on that morning, okay. I'll do my utmost to make it happen. But I certainly would like to record some of the event on, the, on one of those mornings and get it on air. That work for you? Perfect. Okay. Brilliant. I'll take okay. it 100%. Yeah. So, do you think you're covered now? And even if more comes in, it'll be added cream, but you're covered now at this stage, I imagine. Yeah, and I think that's a fairly good idea what you said when you go about where's electric. Well, if they're it's giving you stuff already, give them the yeah. balance of the business then. The River Lane Social Club are on, they want to give you €100 Euro as well. So, it's still coming in. Um, in fairness. Um, and I bet you there'll be more between now and midday. So I get a full total. What I'm going to do then is I'm going to give you all of the numbers. You can contact them all yourself, John. Is that a headache for you? Or is that okay? No, no, no. That's fine. Just give me, I'll bring away. There's no problem whatsoever. Okay. And need just to leave you know, and need the listeners know as well that all the families that have been in contact with you for the last four or five years that we promised the trip to your Disney, yeah. they've all now been contacted and it's all confirmed. They will be flying out from Cork on the 10th of March. Uh, 2024. Oh, please come back to me on that maybe around about the back end of um, February and we'll make sure that we get something done to build up to Mm -hmm. that, will you? Perfect, all together. But we'll definitely be there at least for the audio down in Parky Cueve and I'll check the Red Patrollers for you, all right? Thanks very much, Dean, and thanks to the people of Cork again. And thanks to you and the incredible work you and your volunteers do. Thank you, John Looney from the Cork City Children's Club. Okay, it's coming together very nicely now for the 29th and the 30th of November. It'll be in the morning and the evening. Hundreds of children will be down to meet Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus and get their gifts. And we have money now to make all of the difference. If you do want to pledge some money, that's fine. Just text 0868104106. I'll give you a shout out on the air. I'll pass on all the numbers then to John Looney and he'll have a big kitty to work with. Dwyer's Electrical up by the airport road, just off the airport hill there, across from the Bull McCabe's. Um, they already have uh, pledged some Christmas um, stuff for John Looney, but they do everything up there, so I would think it would be a good idea for him to get as much as he can from Dwyer's. But keep it coming. Uh, text if you think you can help or you have money to spare. Text 0868 Oh, that's a lovely gesture as well. Foam Services in Barrick Street want to supply snow on a roll. See this? This is really coming together. Snow on a roll. Thank you to the guys at Foam Services in Barrick Street. I, uh, Foam Services actually did the most fabulous long couch, long sofa, um, long cushion for me. You know, we have these, um, you know, you can build in these kind of um, uh, side seats on the side of windows, like long seats on windows, and you get a fabulous, um, beautiful, big, long cushion to go in it. They do that really brilliantly in all sorts of fabrics. Check them out if you're ever doing that. If you're ever getting a, a window seat built in in a bedroom, right, and you build in the window seat, and it's done with wood and everything and then you need a beautiful beautiful couch in a, maybe even in a difficult shape to go around the window seat they do all that kind of stuff back after the break talk to Neil Prenderville now 0818 104 106 Cork's Red FM indeed a lot of different complaints I suppose I suppose to a large extent maybe I, I get complaints as well that you guys would be my customers if you like and you have complaints particularly about what I do and say from time to time and that's great I see one popping in there Neil you're talking about the ATB, ATP finals which is the men's finals on the air this morning in the tennis I'm very sad you never mentioned the WTA finals that ended last Monday very disappointed says Yvonne and I have nothing to say about that except that you're absolutely right I probably should have and I didn't and it's my fault my bad Cancun Mexico should have been mentioned my apologies for that somebody else inquiring what channel do you watch all of this tennis on well I have to tell you it's prime video most of it now has gone to prime video 
Now, if you want to subscribe to Prime, I think it's about maybe a tenner a month, but it is really at this stage the go-to place for most of the tennis, most of it. It's got pretty much everything. It doesn't do Wimbledon. It doesn't have the French. It doesn't have the Australian. It has the US Open. The French, the Australian and uh, Wimbledon would be kind of BBC and Eurosport and stuff like that. But for the rest of the year, an awful lot of it is now on Prime Video. So it's an extra added cost. It's 10.35 a month. Thanks, Kevin, for Prime. I think it's the best money I could ever spend because it's, it's just got everything I want tennis-wise. <laughs> I better pay my TV licence before I'm in jail. One or two more complaints. The lemon mousse was too lemony. I just took it off the bill. I just couldn't be bothered arguing with them. The lemon mousse is too lemony. One or two other complaints then from customers. I witnessed an owner's daughter go in behind the bar and grab a guy by the arm in front of a packed bar saying she asked for a cab, um, Sav, and she was given a red wine. (laughs) Obviously she meant a Sauvignon Blanc. I felt so sorry for the guy working in the pub. Horrible person. I'd never go back in. Well, you can't, whether you own it or you're the son or daughter of the bar man or the owner. You can't go in and grab a barman like that. Doesn't know the difference in Cab Sav uh, and Sauvignon Blanc. I always order a large Big Mac meal with an extra Big Mac every time I go to McDonald's. Can you get such thing as an extra Big Mac? Is it not big enough as it is? I ordered the same at the drive-thru once. And by the time I got to my second Big Mac, I found that a bite... You had two of them. I found that a bite had been taken out of it. So I drove back around so I could get a complete Big Mac and the teller was having none of it. I asked him, who buys a Big Mac, then takes one bite out of him and brings it back around again? I threatened to complain to the Irish Food Authority and I asked for the manager and I finally got my extra Big Mac. It would make for a great advertisement. How far would you go to get your Big Mac? Um... Did you really have a Big Mac with a bite out of it? Or did you take a massive bite out of it and go around again? Why would you even do that, the more I think of it? You genuinely must have got a Big Mac with a bite out of it. Because you'd never bother, like, taking a bite out of it and going back through the car queue again. I worked in Debenham's fragrance sections for years. And I've had customers asking for George O'Mahony perfume a.k.a. also known as Giorgio Armani and the donkey perfume (laughs) also known as DKNY (laughs) customers I gotta go, I gotta go we'll pick up on this and lots more in the morning I know there's an awful lot of text and stuff left over particularly from the lights and keep the customers complaints coming though, they're a good laugh text 0868104106 have a good day, I'll see you tomorrow for more Red FM podcasts go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts